Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to a special feature presentation. It's a very cinematic episode because we've got a top five all about movies. Movies and music, we're back once again. And I'm here making his no encore debut. Special guest indeed. It's internet sensation Peter McGann. Hello. How are you? Great to be here. Thank you very much for coming. I appreciate uh, being here. I'm very uh, I'm excited and intimidated. Why uh, are you intimidated? Because of the, the, the breadth of knowledge that this combined podcast has about uh, music of all stripe and uh, yeah. the lack of mine. Well, I mean, like, yeah, you were kind of like saying that to me, like off mic, if I can give some some behind the curtain secrets here. But like, you know, I, I, I reassured you by saying that I don't know that much about music either. Oh, so, found out. Yeah, it's fine. How do you, how, like, what do you like when you're talking about music then? Are you like, what, what's your goal? Is it like, what's your technical know-how like in terms of that? Um, I was not a very good drummer who couldn't keep time, okay. so that's kind of where that comes. Yeah, like, that's about the height of it, really. I wouldn't be able to get into, you know, let's talk about sheet music or something. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not going to happen. So no, trust me, you're in good company. Like yes. and as as I've said numerous times in the show, I'm a new metal kid, so you know I don't have any kind of airs or graces. I just this is just who I am, flaws and all. But who are you, Peter? For anyone who might not know, you're a a top comedian. Of course, and uh, I have a clip which I think you know. Just in case anyone has no idea who you are, but I'm sure everyone does. But just in case this is your first experience with Peter McGann, um, can you set this clip up? So this is like the second half of a clip that made me laugh quite a bit this week, and it's you sitting in a car with a lot of facial distortion and vocal distortion <laughs> yes. going on. Uh, yes, I suppose it's a recurring character that I do online, where he's he's unnamed, but he's basically uh, South Dublin. PT or like a gym instructor uh, who very uh, is trying to encourage the per- person off camera to kind of you know get their get their act together and 
in very condescending, passive-aggressive ways. Basically, it's my in- insecurities in in a character form. Uh, whenever I don't, uh, when I go don't, stop going to the gym for a while. And uh, you're, I'm going to be honest, you're just too far gone now. The, your beach bot, forget about it. You're not going to get there in July. Uh, and to be honest with you, uh, I look. It's not my issue. It's you. I don't want to give you. Like, look, everybody's beautiful. I'm not one of these guys that you have to look a certain way. But it was you that wanted this. And look, I'm not your dad. I'm not like, you know, your boss. You're not meeting these targets for me. We're setting these targets and you were meeting these targets for you. And you just haven't been lately. And look, I... Look, I'm getting paid the other day. And I'm like, it's not... not like no skin off my nose what you do. I just hate seeing, seeing someone want something but not want it enough, you know. That, now that to me makes me want to vomit. Sorry, I cut off again. My young fella, uh, he's, he's climbing up on the roof again. I don't know what he's, look, I don't know what he's want. Listen, come here to me. At the end of the day, summer's a ride off. Let's meet again in September, make a plan for Christmas. Uh, just enjoy the points, mate, yeah. Sorry, I, I just realised I, I did that awful thing there where I made you sit through your own thing, which is probably like a really ghost. No, thing I, well, no, I not at all. I, it's, I'm, this is the second time now it's happened to me in the last few weeks and, it's nice. It's nice. You're just like, oh yeah, because it's detached. It's only audio, and you're, and you're just kind of get to bask in your own genius, uh, separate from in a different kind of form than normally you would. The uh, the combination though of, of the of the the video, which you'll have to go to Peter's social media to see, and the audio which you heard there, it genuinely reminded me of you know that bit in the mask when the villain puts the mask on. Yes, and it goes kind of jagged corner mask, like yeah. <laughs> Monster, ma- yes, and like I, the that's really exactly deep voice, like. yeah. yeah, Dorian in that movie, I think. Um, yeah, like, like, what's the inspiration for the for the the, the hell voice? I, I, I must, I must know. I'm, li- I literally, in that instance, I, I de- de- deal with the, with the filter, I guess, and you're just like, okay, literally, I, I'm trying to think how it happened, how the initial came up, but I think it was literally like you're just. Like a like a child messing around with filters on your phone, and then you f- you find that one that distorts your face uh, in kind of the, the kind of uh, kind of cartoonish way, and then you film yourself doing something. You realise it distorts your voice as well, and then thus uh, a new character is born. I believe the like yeah, it's like from vaudeville <laughs> music hall comedy to this. There's a very uh, straight line. No, there's not. Uh, there's. I wish there was a more kind of intellectual oh no no I, I, I don't even want to grill you too much because you know one, one should never tell a, like demand an artist <laughs> reveals what, why I was just I, I love the voice but uh, listener if you love that style of comedy uh, there's lots of things coming up I believe if you want to do the plug yes indeed thank you very much well I have I'm doing a tour in September for my live show Great Lad uh, I'm doing on September or the 14th I'm doing Collins and Cork September the 15th I'm doing Vicar Street September 16th, I'm doing Dolan's in Limerick. Uh, 21st September, Town Hall in Galway. 22nd, in Kavanaugh's in Leash, And then finally, September 23rd, I'm in the Spirit Store in Dundalk. So uh, if you if you like me on this, go to my... <laughs> so, uh, find, you can find, find tickets to Peter McGann, great lad, uh, wherever you get your... Tickets. And I can back up, in fact, Sonic Architect Adam here, everybody, for those. I didn't introduce you. <laughs> I'm, oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. It's all right. It's all right. I'm starstruck, I, I, clearly, I by our guest. <laughs> <I got this. laughs> um, he is a great lad. Indeed, a great lad. So. Thank you, Adam. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Am I a great lad? We're all great lads. Okay. We're all great lads. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you can also find, of course, on various social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Yes, Peter J. McGann on all. Uh, the, the J, the letter, not the... 
name. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's all good fun. I'm I'm much too regular on all three. So uh, yeah, you'll love, you'll get something out of me. Get I enjoy. I, I quite enjoy the letterbox. You know, like I mean, I feel like you're you know you're a big movie guy. Yes, and that's going to be you know tantamount to this podcast this week because our top five, as chosen by you, kind of with a slight nudge from me, perhaps. We're doing top five mafia movie music. So we'll obviously get to that later in the show after the news section. But real quick, how did you find going through that top five? Because you did initially kind of suggest, I think, Ennio Morricone scores, which is a great top five suggestion. But I was just like, I'll be out of my fucking death. But more, more to the point, I was like, what if it just gets a bit repetitive? No, yeah. And then I'm yeah. like, but you know, which is, it's, that's a bad faith criticism for me. But I am happy where we've landed. So how did you find the experience? I found it really cool. I actually, I went, I, I went with a lot of gut instinct ones, like basically bar one, there was very little humming and hawing. It was like a kind of like early days. I kind of had the notes up, I jotted down four titles. And I'll, Adam will attest that I hounded him for uh, what are the strictures and little oh, like, was yeah. it? Yeah. The, the limitations. That's like, a th- I think that's a thing pretty much every week, right? It's like, I, I think we tend to be loose enough with it. So we... It, it wasn't necessarily just original scores. We kind of went with needle drops and stuff in yeah. in the actual movies. If it features in a film about gangsters of any kind, yeah, you know, yeah. like that. And I should say as well for any new listeners to the show, first of all, hello and welcome. Please stay with us forever. Uh, the the concept of the top five is that Peter will have five snippets of audio from you know gangster movies in this case, and so will I. But I don't know what he's chosen. He doesn't know what I've chosen. There could be crossover. We're going to find out together later in the show. And then we just kind of chat about what it means to us, really. That's kind of how, how it all works. And I would like to preface my list <laughs> be, before I, because in, in fear of coming off as the most insufferable, pretentious person. <laughs> That's what I want, though. I know, <laughs> I know you want it, but that, the people... That is, that is championed upon this podcast. That's yeah, absolutely no, I, fine. It's more so like, I just, I'm, yeah, uh, but I'm, I, I think I really pushed the boundaries of at least one choice. But I, I was, as a massive, both... Uh, mafia movie uh, movie fan and like lover of film history in the kind of evolution of film terms as as much as anything else uh, and like how genres evolve and all that I some of my choices are related to that. And, and I was also thinking in terms of like the big hits obviously there's certain tunes here that are obviously the best mob music and if I didn't pick them it's not because I don't rate them it's more like if I was to listen to a podcast with this title and I heard them on it I'd be like well obviously or what's left to be said of it that's just my kind of little uh, self-serving little preface No, no, no. I, I think it's fair to get a disclaimer in because oftentimes we're saying stuff like listen this is not the definitive thing and it's not meant to be a cast iron yeah. you know kind of sanctimonious thing it's not like we're saying these are the five that are the greatest of all you know it's it, it's just the ones that you've thought about at this moment in time exactly. you know like I mean you could do the list again in a month's time and there could be five different ones like oh, it's yeah. all incredible like how do you possibly know? Like, the concept is flawed is what I'm saying <laughs> the whole entire structure that the show is hinged upon doesn't work <laughs> And that's been the show for this week. Peter, thanks for coming in. Best luck with the tour. <laughs> September, everybody. Great lad. And uh, it's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to turn my decision around to keep the show. And maybe we'll maybe we will keep the show, Adam. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Keep we'll the see, show. We'll see how we fare this week we'll and we then fare. make a decision. And we're going to find out how Adam fared in just a moment over the weekend. Let's hit the news. <laughs> Start spreading the news. Thank you, Frank Sinatra. Appropriate for mafia 
Very appropriate. Yeah. And I'm reading his biography at the minute. So What's that is it like? Very good. It's addictive now today. What's the title? It's called, there's two ones. It's by James Kaplan. The first one's called Sinatra and the second one's Frank or one or the other. I think the first one's Frank, the second one's called Sinatra. But uh, I'm only on Frank. High concept. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> I thought they would have like got a Blue Eyes mention in there or something, but who knows. Uh, let's start, though, this week on the music news. Uh, we talked on recent, uh, it was two weeks ago, possibly, that The View, Scottish troubadours, The View of, you know, late 2000s landfill indie, um, they had a bust up on stage recently. Did you see the video? I saw, I saw the video, but not, uh, I didn't realise that's what it was until I got the, the the rundown of the news and I was like okay that's a bit of context for me now yeah so we have like uh, an update of sorts because you know they had to cancel their show after that one for understandable reasons but it appears they've patched it up and we our man on the ground last weekend Adam texted me and said I'm at, I'm going to see the view later on and I was like what are you, what are you talking about this I, some- I'd like to actually direct quote here it okay. was you'll never guess where I am and then I sent a picture of the view on stage. Yeah, you are correct. I never would have guessed this. Yeah, explain, it, explain yourself. Please. Okay, so um, several several months ago, I agreed to go to a festival in uh, Warrington, which is between Manchester and Liverpool, and it's called Neighborhood Weekender, and it generally features um, like kind of local heroes, I guess, um, from like the Manchester Liverpool area. A lot of like those landfill indie bands or you know all of that era of music and they you know the bands are obviously a lot older now a lot of them are enjoying their twilight years I guess twilight you years know after coming back though you know what I mean I, I, I personally I think it can only go so far but anyway um I ended up at this festival and um didn't really pay too much heed to the lineup in advance of it. Um, like I said, I had bought the tickets and agreed to go in, I think, like November or You're something. You're just there last for year. the crack. Like, I was, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like most ba- people who go to festivals. Basically, yeah. My, my girlfriend's sister and her uh, partner live in, um, live in Warrington and they live a 10 minute walk away. And it's like a thing that, um, it's a thing that Ben and Maeve do every year and they go and there's a group of them and it's great so they invited us along this year and we said yeah great um, so walked in the first day got handed a lineup card by a lovely um, a lovely volunteer after getting my wristband and who did I see glowing on the list The View and who wanted to go and see The View? Absolutely everyone I was with. Dave. Jesus Christ. Like, non-ironically. Just... Non-ironically, yeah. Also, like, I assume the lineup was was it tiered? Like, how far up the bill were they? Um, I th- They were somewhere in the midday. I think they were, like, fourth or fifth on the second largest stage. So there was three stages. There was the main stage. There was, like, a tent thing that resembles something like Rankin's Wood in um, Electric Picnic. And... There was like a, a small stage, Viola Beach stage, actually is what it was called. Oh, it's named Na- after them. Okay. Named after the, That's the, good. the band who sadly passed away yeah. um, several years ago. So Horrible that, story. Yeah, really, really sad story. Um, but lovely that they yeah, yeah. Got, the, got the nod there because they were a local band as well. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It was like, it was a real eclectic mix of, a real eclectic Lads mix with of people. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, but like, it, it wasn't just that either. Like, Sugar Babes were on <laughs> when I got there on the Saturday. It's and the let, OG lineup as well. Let me it? tell you, it, yeah, it, yeah, the, yeah, one of back. the highlights of my weekend. It was phenomenal. I mean, I don't, I don't doubt it for a second. Yeah, it was Wait, great. The OG lineup. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, the original lineup. First wow. time in like, was it 20 years, something like that? I think they've been touring for a little while now. They yeah. were playing Belfast last on Friday, I think. So they must have been, yeah, must have been like doing the rounds. I believe they did the circuit last year as well, towards the end of the year. Yeah, no, it's, listen, it's a, it's a good story. Great story and a great performance, I must say. Um, another highlight of the weekend was Gang of Youths. Oh, you fucking bastard. I, like, I, I'm sorry for the language, but like, you know, a band I've fallen in love with uh, wholeheartedly on this program. Very missed playing here last year and Adam sends me a photograph like, guess who I'm at? I, I was like, great. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I had completely forgotten all of that until now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very sorry to be rubbing this well, in. I'm sorry for making you being taken back there by my outburst. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Um, Are they good? Yeah. I'll breeze over very fast. Uh, they were excellent. Great. Sound was terrible. Oh, um, Lights Festival. Yeah. Oh. And, no, was, that was the kind of common team across the board the whole weekend, unfortunately. But... Um, yeah, the front man, I don't know his name. He uh, might give some colour here. David LaPepe. Uh, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his surname correctly. He, but. Uh, to the chagrin of the audience, brought out an Everton jersey and nobody liked that. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. What day uh, of the week was this? This was Saturday, so they were playing yeah, to they, avoid they relegation. They just survived the following day. Yeah, yeah. He was like asking for updates on stage what the scores were. Um and on a day yeah. that there's no football that's not a real fan yeah. <laughs> a liar so he yeah he ended up like making his way into the crowd and having a good laugh like he was really enjoying himself cool. so they were very good um, highlight of the weekend completely yes confidence man unbelievable okay I'm going to ask you now to stop burying the lead and tell me what happened with the view oh yeah um, crap <laughs> okay right. no bust up oh. they, did, they did play same jeans it wasn't their last song if I recall correctly that's okay but, um, these mavericks keeping you guessing <laughs> It was just, it was crap. That's disappointing. I was, was hoping crap. there would have been. I was hoping there would have been another another scrap. Uh, Peter, I have to ask. Landfill indie? Did it ever do much for you? And and festivals as well. Where where do you stand on them? You, I'm sure you play at them, but I mean, like, well, know. I've I've done I've I've done very seldom playing wise, but uh, festivals. I yeah, body and soul. I went to um, the last couple of years, and I went to the the most recent all together now. But like, I didn't back when like. I feel like everyone their mother went to Oxygen when they were like 16, except for me. <laughs> so like that's, I didn't, I was a late comer to festivals. Very, I just dreaded the idea of them uh, for years. And I think that's pretty understandable as well. Like it mm. is a bit of a daunting affair if you think about all the bells and whistles there and yeah. all the stuff that comes with it, you know. I think if you don't go early, then it's like, you, and you kind of get it out of the way when you're a teenager, then you're like, geez, what that? this is a pain in the whole, this, the whole idea of it. Uh, and then, but then, Yes, no, now I like I love them. I absolutely love them. Primavera there a few years ago was it was like one of the best weekends of my life. I was like, Jesus, this is this is living now. Um but yeah. But I am curious though, back in the day, was Landfill Indy that kind of like Land, that's isn't that like Razor Light. Yeah, and, yeah. And the aforementioned The View, The Kooks, that kind of craze of the... Kooks also played, by the way. Of course, just, of, uh, course, of course they did. They'll Saw never... them, that's the fifth time I've seen them against my will <laughs> in the past 12 months. Just gets better. But yeah, yeah. that kind of craze I know you, of you, the mid thousands. Razorlight you know? Razor Light a lot on the pod. I love... Because it got me thinking, I loved them when I was a teenager, late teens, I remember just playing their album on repeat repeat, repeat, just thought that it was just incredible. So yeah, I had a lot of time for that genre. Not, I'd like the the kooks and stuff less so, but like, yeah, I was definitely, the. I don't know what it is. What would you describe the appeal of it? Uh, of that kind of style? Yeah. And like hard fine all them. I mean, I guess just kind of like, you know, like... 
That's a great question, to be honest. See, like, like this is where my, my lack of musicalness shines through. I mean, like, I think, like, you know, that kind of, you know, plastic kind of uh, convenient rock, you know, just like, yes. you know, kind of like gives you a charge, gets to a chorus pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. Very, like, I feel like it's very anthemic male, or, yeah. Very, oh, yeah, very male-centric, very anthemic for lads. Yeah. And just like, you know, relatable or something. I don't yeah. know. So, I mean, to me, it's like emo music We all for live for the weekend. Fans, you know? Yes. Like, yeah. That's yes. what I think. Like, particularly because of the experience <laughs> I had this weekend. Um, I went to see a band called The Enemy. Uh, as were, in as in The Enemy from the late 2000s? Yeah. Okay. Pretty good. Really? I kind of enjoyed it. Okay. Just the three piece, they made a hell of a lot of noise. Yeah, yeah. It was great. And your man was giving it 110% the whole time. Um, what was their big song? I'm gonna can't, look, can't remember. I'm going to look it up. Gonna, they yeah. did play it at the... Oh, is it this song? Is it about you? About you? That thing? It's... Maybe. Oh, Do you know the Pigeon Detectives are still going? Remember them? Yeah. Then why There's, do I feel like they might have been on the line? <laughs> I think they have a new album coming out. The Enemy. Yeah, like the, I know that We Live and Die in These Towns was the album that they had back mm-hmm. in the day. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, that was one of the songs that they, did, they big, did play. What was their big single? Um, Were they I, Irish Pigeon Detectives? Uh, no, 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 no. They're like very, very, very UK lad, laddie. I, I've, I'm looking at the, the track listing for We'll Live and Die in These Hands and I couldn't pick the single. I don't know. I have no idea. They're just one of those bands where it was like, you know, that kind of, just that era, the yeah. enemy championed era. <laughs> yeah. But like one band uh, who had a different weekend to Adam playing up in Dundee at Radio 1's Big Day Out, I believe it was, where Royal Blood, they didn't have a great time. Let's hear what that sounded like, shall we? They're on the stage. Uh, for some context, I believe that they were sandwiched between sets from Niall Horan and Lewis Capaldi. So, you know, probably didn't have a crowd around them that was all that appreciative of their, you know, highly technical rock music. Let's have a listen to how that all went down. Well, uh, I guess I should introduce ourselves, seeing as uh, no one actually knows who we are. We're called Royal Blood, and this is uh, rock music. Who likes rock music? Nine people, brilliant. This is Ben Thatcher, he plays drums. Everybody say hi to Ben, please. We're having to clap ourselves because that was so pathetic. Well done, Ben. Can you clap for us? Can you clap? You're busy. Can you clap? He's busy. Yes, even he's clapping. What does that say about you? So that's uh, Royal Blood from and Mike Kerr admonishing the crowd there in Dundee and walking off stage with his middle fingers in the air as his drummer, you know, hits the cymbals and he slal- like slaloms his way down the guitar and, you know, they it's all in the clip there. It wasn't very edifying and they've been torn apart after the clip went viral on social media. I'm glad I've got a comedian here though because, I mean, like this felt more like I was listening to a guy, you know, trying to fight back against hecklers in the crowd at a comedy show or something. I mean, is that... Like, like, what was your take on this one? Well, I was, I, contrary to popular, contrary to the work that I make, I can't, I don't have a very low tolerance for real life cringe. Like, real life. And so when I saw the video doing the rounds, I was like, I'm going to not watch that. And then, then I had to watch it for this. And I was like, oh God. And it actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, to be fair. (laughs) Excuse me. I I thought it would be much more. But uh, my take, yeah, it is very much like a guy yeah, getting heckled or like kind of trying to plow through like a stags and hens night in the local comedy club and just kind of giving up. But uh, it's just, it's just, it's just sad really, isn't it? It's like, if you can't, you just need to be, able, it's like the least rock and roll thing to do is to go off in a strop, like to play through it. It will be the the cool thing to do and like kind of take charge and give them a bit of a shake. But no, that like, 
I've played some pretty I say I've played some tough games. I've died on my arse <laughs> enough time to know that uh, you kind of like the like the the weakest thing you can do is just turn tail and run. Yeah, yeah. Or like break the fourth wall to such a degree, being like, "I'm doing a comedy show." Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is, this these are jokes. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's really bad. Like, I mean, I just kind of found it like to be like, again, like to, first of all, to be like, you know, this is rock music. It's yeah, like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Also, <laughs> your royal blood, with all due respect, like you're fine. You're not, it's not that, it's not that rocky. Like it's, yeah. it's okay. It's, it's changing room music, you know? And it's just like, to be fucking like that, like precious about it. And at a festival, they might, I think they may have been moved and they weren't supposed to be there or something. And thus, you know, they have the Nile Horn and Lewis Capaldi fans around them. Mm. But like, it's a festival. Like you got to accept that that's yeah. going to happen and you might be put in a slot that isn't the greatest one for you. And also like, what do you, like you can't, I don't, I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can have a go at the, at the crowd that are milling around. No, not as it's into not their it. fault. No. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I just, like, I'm always thinking of the practical end of things. I was watching, I was like, what happens now backstage? <laughs> like, are they in trouble now? Because as someone who hates confrontation, I'm just like, would they have someone coming up to them and they have to talk to them now? That's like, ah, lads, you shouldn't have done that. And like, do they get paid? I'm just intrigued by all these like little... The admin of this. The yeah. admin of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, they're rock stars wearing shades, so I assume that they're just... They don't care about a, admin. Yeah. Smashing a couple of ears, you know, like into, you know, like into their trailer or something. But yeah, no, that would be hilarious if somebody was like, you've got 25 minutes left. Yeah, 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 do something. Get out there, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, it, but yeah, you make the point of kind of powering through it, maybe like doing something, and it brings me back to, of all things, a festival. My first proper, you know, multi-day festival, which was Oxygen 2008, and I've said before on the show, but like Rage Against the Machine were the headliners on the last night, and the build to get to them was like some kind of, you know, 12 tasks of Hercules situation where it was like the Coronas, the Kooks, the Fratellis, the Kaiser Chiefs. <laughs> And then you can have rage against the machine. <laughs> and it was like, you know, you had to get into the pit. So you had to like queue up to get into it. So you don't get a wristband. So if you stay there, you leave, you do the whole ordeal again. So I missed like really cool bands like, you know, MGMT at that oh. time and like Band of Horses and Flog and Molly and Tents nearby. And I was like, oh, I would have been there for those. But I was like, no, I'm going to stick it through. And so um, I've seen, you know, like the Fratellis didn't fare so well, but the Kaiser Chiefs actually did turn it around. And they did like, you know, they kind of fought the crowd back a bit and kind of like playfully mocked them and kind of, you know, the lads started doing quote-unquote ironic circle pits, but it just made Kaiser look really fucking cool. Yes, They kind yes, of won yes. the day. Like They kind of like used it to their advantage. I have to jump in here as well because I've be I've borne witness to Kaiser Chiefs doing the exact same thing <laughs> at Slane uh, 2017, I think. I can't remember when Foo Fighters played, but it was like the strangest lineup I've ever seen in my life. Hosier, the Stripes, friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them. <laughs> um, so it was Hosier, The Stripes, Ash, which felt fitting. Um, and who else? Kaiser Chiefs then. And then it was Foo Fighters. But Kaiser Chiefs, let me tell you, everyone was like really not into what was happening. Yeah. And the Kaiser Chiefs came on and it was like there was some kind of like MSG in their in their performance. It just like made me like I was kind of I really respected them after. I was like, this is I'm really enjoying this. Like and they're like they put on a really, really good show. And of course, you know, the the hits. So, you know. It I have I like obviously this is something that they're used to. It must be, yeah. Yeah. It must be. I feel like the best case scenario for in when you're if you're in a situation like that is you feel like an absolute 
boss walking off stage because you just tamed uh, like an unfriendly crowd. And the worst case scenario is you get a yarn out of it. You get you get the yarn to sit around after the fact. Like there's there's some great crack in like licking your mutual wounds over a pint after some uh, something that doesn't go well, and you can kind of tell the story. I oh, remember this, but then what do you do if you just leave uh, with all this pent up energy and rage, and now everyone thinks is everyone's annoyed at you, and now you're just annoyed at everyone? And what where do you go with that? It doesn't sound very yeah. And again, to bring the admin back as well, like if you're, you know, I'm trying to picture you backstage and someone being like, Peter, aren't you supposed to be? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then you have to tell no, actually, because what happened is this. And they're like, they don't they stop listening after three seconds. Do you know, though, I mean, like, like, like especially with comedy, like, I mean, like, like, can you tell pretty quickly if you're like, oh, fuck, this is going to be a tough one? You know, like, I mean, is that like, is it is it that evident from the get go? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm such a fair weather live performer, but you can definitely tell. Like, yeah, and it's especially if you're doing something like I, I would do a lot of stuff where there's like buy-in required, like it be it a character or like a conceptual thing, and it's all well and good when you're doing to the the the, the audiences that know who you are that they're buying tickets to your show, or whatever. But then when you're doing the like Wednesday night and unsure or whatever else like that, and it's it's that can take that that can be quite stressful uh, in terms of like. Yeah, an audience not necessarily been on. They're coming to hear jokes about X and Y, and they want their jokes fast, and they want them kind of in a recognizable way. So if you're doing, yeah, yes, yeah. so that can sometimes you know pretty quick. But then you just kind of you come up with little systems to adapt to that and ways to kind of get them on side. But uh, so if a if a crowd isn't feeling you one hundred percent whatsoever. That's yeah, it's it's hell, and you find yeah pretty early on. I feel like every Stuart Lee show I've ever seen has a, a running thing of him, you know, pointing out like a section of the crowd who are like, oh, they just came in here on on, on a lark, and they're not like, yes. you don't, you know, it's and it's very much that becomes part of the whole thing, I guess. But it just seems like a, like it seems like a pretty fucking terrifying tightrope for anyone to be on any I, stage. I, I did that. Of... I was out in. I did a night in. Um, or I did a, did a set out in 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 Shakur in. Uh, Whatever, the, forget the name of the pub, the Patriots in. And uh, there were, for some reason, there was like a middle aged woman and an elderly woman. Looked like kind of a like a mother and daughter situation out for a night in, of comedy. And they weren't buying what I was selling at all, my particular brand of whimsy. And uh, yeah, I just, I just kind of eventually singled them out and I was like, I'm going to get a laugh. Because I was saying like dicey things are, you know, kind of d- dark things that. Not, not, not in an edgy way, but just, you know. Uh, and then I was like, so they didn't really approve of that, but I was like, I'm going to make you laugh by the end of it. And I have these really, really corny jokes, uh, three really corny jokes that I I had in the back pocket that I just did at the end and I got them to smile. And I was like, yes, walked out of there. It's better than any kind of other laugh was just getting this kind of like upturned frown uh, from these kind of very disapproving older women. Uh, that had been the last, 18 minutes of the 20 minute set but uh, yeah that's what fucking Royal Blood should have done you know just like there's gotta be some kind of backup plan backup plan where they play like a Beatles song or something (laughs) (laughs) play a Lewis Capaldi song Lewis Capaldi of course they're like like, that's what they should because he's coming on next they should have been like all right, we're gonna we're, we're gonna really fuck with you now and we're gonna do like his biggest hit but like twice the speed or something. Yes. What I have to say, that bo- what bothers me the most, I would have been a fan of Royal Blood around the first album time. I thought that first album was really good. Um, 
but like I just think this is real loser behavior. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's like, entitled brat bullshit. Yeah. But I think it's even it's it's like so hypocritical because they put out like a remix album of their last record, or they put out like a lot of remixes, and one of them is Purple Disco Machine. So like I don't I don't understand like how do you get to do that and also say this. Yeah. Like, because you clearly have to sign off on it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I would think even in this day and age, bands who are signed to major labels still have to sign off on remixes. Yeah, at the same time, I mean, like, like I, I have a slight degree of sympathy where I would say that, you know, every performer has the right to assess the situation in front of them and if they're not mm. having a great time for whatever reason, like, it's course, not... Yeah. They're human beings, you know, like, I mean, like, maybe it's having a bad fucking day. Yeah. I, I kept checking. I was surprised that there's been no Royal Blood post-apology statement. There's been none of that. They haven't said anything. See, I would want them to apologize. Just that own that. Even that's less like, rock and roll. Yes, yeah. exactly. Just own the thing. And it's yeah. like, that's... I wish more people did that really is just kind of just kind of double down double down you missed that it's a lost art well <laughs> uh, down. You've, you've set me up absolutely perfectly for the next news story because <laughs> Matty Healy of the 1975 <laughs> oh he's back he's back uh, he has addressed the controversy surrounding his appearance on the Adam Freeland show in February where he made all kinds of comments and engaged in all kinds of tomfoolery that people weren't happy with but there's a new interview he's done with the New Yorker, which I read in full, by the way. Oh. Very long interview, and I read the entire thing. Uh, go me. Uh, he was asked if he was deliberately, quote-unquote, baiting his fans by doing that podcast, and he said, a little bit, but it doesn't actually matter. Nobody is sitting there at night, slumped at their computer, and their boyfriend comes over and goes, what's wrong, darling? And they go, it's just this thing with Maddie Healy. That doesn't happen. <laughs> After the interviewer said, well, maybe it does. He goes, well, if it does, you're either deluded or you are, sorry, a liar. You're either lying that you're hurt or you're a bit mental for being hurt. It's just people going, oh, there's a bad thing over there. Let me get as close to it as possible so you can see how good I am. And I kind of want them to do that because they're demonstrating something so base level. Thoughts? I, no, but I, I, I haven't listened to the, the episode he was on, so I can't, this is no endorsement of anything said there. I kind of like that. I like, I like that, yeah. like, level of, like, because, again, it's like, it just feels like everything now has to be just uh, kind of justified in, like, or, like, back, walked back on. But I just, there's something about hearing someone just be quite kind of practical about it and be like, these people aren't, re-, you know, just kind of breaking it down. Again, I don't know what he said. Maybe they were absolutely heinous comments uh, and th- there is cause for upset. But I, I, as an outsider looking in, I kind of, I like hearing an old, uh, a double down is... Well, I mean, yeah, and there is like... a double like, down. I think it's like, just like, kind of almost like a, like, not, like, a refusal to acknowledge that it's even a problem rather than... And like, there is, there is like a level, and like, you know, this isn't me like turning into a fucking letter to the Irish Times, but like, but there is a level of performative outrage, you know, online where it's mm-hmm. like, are you really that, are you really that fucking ruined by this? You know, or are you just jumping in with a hot knife and, you know, bringing attention to yourself by doing this. Like, his comments were fairly asinine and the behaviour was as well. And, you know, I, I don't think that a lot of it is, you know, incredibly, you know, edifying to use that word I've used already for some reason. But, you know, I, we all fucking got up the next day. You know, mm. it's like it's some dickheads on a podcast, you know, not like this one. This is, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're all very cool here. Unproblematic. But I mean, 
that's what they call us. Legends, legends, <laughs> woke kings. They call yes. us. But I mean, like, yeah, it's just like, like, like there needs to be a level of okay. Like, I mean, let's just you know, let's just pull back a little bit. You know, yeah, no one got killed. But and there is some funny stuff in this article. I mean, like, there's a section where because you know his parents are actors. Um, yeah, yeah, like one of them was in like Coronation Street, and she's a loose woman. Yeah, yeah. Denise, Denise Welch, Welch. And, Denise and one of the likely lads are is he one of the likely lads or the if weeders and pets or he was yeah one of those. Um, he's a little short scouse or a mank. Uh, one of those. Yes, that's like, that's, I can <laughs> Tim see. Healy, is that? Tim, Tim Healy, yeah. yeah, yeah, Tim Healy. So, like, there's a section here um, from this interview, which I found quite funny. So, it says, like, about how, like, you know, Matty Healy, as a young child, had, a, had a, you know, not a normal life because of his parents and such. Mm-hmm. So, there's a part here where it says, The Truman Show, in which Jim Carrey plays the unwitting, lifelong star of an always-on reality series, came out when Matty Healy was nine, and he developed an intrusive fear that the movie was, in some way, about his own life. His parents were actors. What if everything was a loveless farce? On vacation in Spain, in a taxi, his dad teased him about this ongoing neurosis and Denise turned around from the front seat and told him to stop it. Quote, she meant, don't wind him up. He's obviously freaking out about this, Healy explained. But I read that as one actor saying to another, hush, you're going to give up the gig. So, you know, he's they, his parents created a monster and so did the film The Truman Show. So. I was about that age when that film came out. I went to see it in the cinema. And me and all my friends and anyone I've ever talked to since all had the exact same. That's not some special little kind of like tortured artist thing. That <laughs> we all thought it's like, oh, maybe that's our life. Uh, and also that's a very funny prank as Elphila played. <laughs> yeah, like, like, absolutely. I would, I, that's, that's very funny. Well, yeah, like I said on Twitter, I was like, you know, I was like, shout out to Mandy Hughes dad for correctly prioritizing, you know, mean-spirited humor over child welfare. <laughs> yeah. You know? As it should be. As it should be. It's a good fucking movie. still is. You oh, know? it's so good. Rewatched the, it not so long ago, actually. It's yeah. just... Hits different now, doesn't it? It does. Very much so. Yeah. My God. It's that. It's like about 57,000 times more melancholic. Yeah. It's like, woof. But it is great, though. Um, but yeah, Manny Healy, 975. Talk about it all the time on the podcast. Uh, any... He deserves a sting, I think, at this point, doesn't he? Maybe. I, I, don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if I want to encourage that, though. Ah, I might figure it out. Look, some people are just good copy. You know, it's like you just... <laughs> They, he knows it though, doesn't he? Yes. But he knows. He knows what he's at. Yeah. It's true. We'll close off the new section by talking about uh, the upcoming Barbie film. How are you feeling about this? I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I like, I think Little Women and Black, Blackbird, fucking, not Blackbird. Ladybird. The Ladybird. Yeah. Uh, that's Black the Michael Bradley film. Greta Gerwig's Blackbird. Ladybird. <laughs> Ladybird, they are like, I would go so far as to say flawless films. They're like perfect films. And you're looking at, I watched that, I don't, I thought the trailer for the Barbie film looks, it's just that garbage kind of like humour that was so funny and groundbreaking at one point and now it's like, it's the kind of, you know, I don't know what you call it, The there's a Marvel humour but it's it's not even quite that, it's, it's just a very kind of easy kind of way to do it. but I don't, I would never doubt credit. So I think bad trailer, amazing cast, um, Probably a very cynical movie, but I I would bet the house on Greta Gerwig now, to be honest. Yeah, and like it's just like like I'm I'm tired of the memes, I must say. And I I did find the trailer. I saw the trailer before a film I went to see, and I was like, "This is what everyone's freaking out about." And like, yeah, closed with this really bad extended gag, and I was like, "Really? Yeah. Is this the That's best?" That's the kind of humor. It's that kind of like 
kind of meta kind self-referential, of, uh, self-referential improv kind of humor yeah, yeah. that is we just, know this is silly it's yes. just like oh, cool cool great and it, it just felt like really this is if this is the best you got and I'm sure yeah it could just be a trailer house being like we'll put that in yeah. you know which it probably is directors often don't cut their own trailers so mm-hmm. you know unless you're Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. um, so yeah Bastille frontman remember Bastille everybody I'd rather not to be honest uh, Dan <laughs> Smith yeah 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 uh, Pompeii is that song about. that's it yeah. so Dan Smith of Bastille said that he had songs rejected from the forthcoming live action Barbie film good <laughs> good I'll, um, say, I'll say it as it is good why I thought so much a, like again I'm not here? Yeah. locked into the industry but like how they've not been relevant for years where does he get off thinking <laughs> that he could submit like so like tunes to it like one of the biggest it, films yeah. of the year I've got it I've got the one thing you need like yeah. I, I don't know I just I, I, I never bought in always hated I like not hated his voice but I was always very irked by his voice and I never thought the music was good yeah, they were rude to a colleague of mine at a festival. Oh, and so well, it's, the bridges are burned, so that's enough for me. Say less. Well, it could be that he was asked. I mean, he did say, like, you know... Um, he probably was. I think that would yeah, be very like, presumptuous pub- otherwise. Yeah, publishers, publishers generally... This is like when a football manager, like, gives a quote, they're like, or someone, like, or anyone gives a quote ever, and they're like, no one fucking cared. And it's like, someone asked that. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was a question in, like, an that. interview, and they answered the question like a professional. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, he said he'd written a couple of songs for it because they were ultimately right? because a fan asked asked him, uh, while you're here and talking about films, any plans to see Barbie or Oppenheimer? Uh, he said, very excited for both of them. In fact, I wrote a couple of songs for the Barbie film, brackets that they didn't use, close brackets, but it looks incredible. So does Oppenheimer. So yeah, he is working on projects in film and TV. Um, and he wants to compose the soundtrack to Red Dead Redemption 3. Okay. Um, best of luck. But yeah, so I mean like... I will say if you write a song called Pompeii, you should be, it should be Oppenheimer that you're submitting tunes to. Yes. Oh, and he, look, there's a, a deafening silence on whether the song was featured in Oppenheimer or not. So yes. I mean, I'll, leave that, I'll just put that out there, you know. Sequel to like, Pompeii. <laughs> <laughs> it could be like a mid-movie montage. So if you could only see one of them though, Peter, if oh. you were like... If you were forced at gunpoint to only go see one of these films. Oh, that's a... F- oh, God. I have to... At the risk of sounding like a fucking... The... Whatever you call them, Film bro. I mean... Oppenheimer. Jesus, I didn't think I'd have to make this choice. I just hated <laughs> it. I would have said... Bar- I would have honestly said Barbie up until that last trailer, which I just thought was garbage. Because, like... Yeah, because... Th- uh, more elements of it appeal to me, but now I think like Oppenheimer is the safer bet, and it's a, it's a, it's not a, you know, and that there's a walking advertisement unless it is, unless this is massive advertisement for uh, nuclear warfare. But um, I, yeah, no, I think it would have to be Oppenheimer. I, but in fairness, to that trailer I have been putting Mama Cass, uh, make your own kind of music on blast ever since it. It's what about song. you? Which would you choose? Oh, uh, Oppenheimer every day. And I'm not even that big of a Christopher Nolan guy, but I, you know, I know that it would at least be quite watchable. But here's the thing, you know, like, I mean, like, it, like you know, this is a hypothetical situation. You have free will and an endless bank account thanks to your comedy stylings. Go see Peter on tour in September, everybody. <laughs> so you can go see both. It doesn't have to be, you know. <sighs> yes. But I won't be doing that thing where, like, like I'm, I, I can't imagine the double bill on the day it's like no, I think a oh <laughs> bit of a palate cleanser highs and lows you know yeah yeah I, the Barbie one I mean like I just feel like whenever anyone you know whenever like I hate hype like I, I hate yeah. like I hate memification hype where like everyone has to step up and do their version of the joke like remember that thing where 
you know, and this this is a there are many problems with social media and Twitter in particular, but like you can mute words, but you can't mute images. Images, yes. So there's two images in the last few years that have genuinely like wanted me, like have made me want to claw my fucking eyes out. One is the Catherine Han winking thing. <sighs> yeah. So yeah, it's just like yeah. if I see it again, like I just it's not it's nothing against her. She's a great actor. Uh, I didn't watch that fucking show, but like you know when like it just it, you can't get rid of this image. Yeah. It's just everywhere, mm-hmm. and everyone's using it and everyone has to have their moment with it Mm because that's what social media is that and the fucking Matt LeBlanc folding his arms in the fucking you know he's an Irishman and like whatever like that thing I just I appreciate that I will say I got into like some American publication, some insanely huge publication with my one. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fine. You know, like. <laughs> so I will, that's the one that I will dig the other. But yeah. What yeah, was your own? Was how did you caption it? Oh, it was, how are you getting on? <laughs> fine. <Yeah. laughs> okay, it's good. He's fine. Room, yeah. fine. I, I, I stand by it though. I stand by it. Like, yeah. This is like the time when I interviewed Saint Sister and I complained about, I was like, you know what I can't stand? When artists do like a slowed down cover and they, oh. and they have a Bruce Springsteen one and I was like, oh I, shit. I think that one is a bit more uh, insulting than, than my, mine is like, I did, a, I jumped on a meme bandwagon. Yeah. I'm not going to get it. It's like, it is a very, and like, yeah, what, what, what makes on, on that one is like when the moment is long since past yes and then someone like just brings it back out of the blue you're like what are you doing my Jesus yeah. Yeah, it, it, and for the record we're like big fan of Saint Sister and they cover Bruce Springsteen like nobody else which Bruce Springsteen's on I'll have to get back to you on that one uh, <laughs> technical difficulties technical difficulties <laughs> we are experiencing technical difficulties please stand by Well, of course, it's a Dancing in the Dark cover. Of course. Know, and they do it sublimely. It's ethereal and beautiful and amazing, and they're incredible musicians. And welcome back on the show anytime. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But we're going to continue with this episode. It is top five time. We mentioned at the top of the show, it's Mafia Movie Music. Uh, is there anything else to say before we get this one going? There is, if I can addendum my... Uh, preamble with this other uh, mini amble. Uh, yes, mafia movies. Uh, I like things like Heat and stuff. I, for myself, I disqualified because technically they're professional thieves. Yeah, they're movies. heisters. They're like like heist this, movies, this yeah. is like this is one where and listen. I'm all like 
bring on the pedantry because like that's what we want here yes. but like i looked up if, you know i'm sure you know you did your own research did, uh, you know i'm sure like you, you did a few a few googles as did i and i was looking at some of like these lists that would pop up and i'm like that's not a fucking mafia movie or even a gangster movie yeah. or you're like that's not like the like, head is like one of them was oceans 11 and i'm ah, like that's not like, that's an ensemble heist guys yes get yeah. it right this is not top five ensemble heist movie music. you won't be hearing bloody claire de lune <laughs> on this bloody podcast. <laughs> you won't be hearing uh junkie xl's a little less conversation elvis remix <laughs> Or maybe no, you will. I don't maybe know. Well, you should always have that. Should be on every list. Uh, <laughs> I so Mike. Some my criteria was yeah. It had to be a, cr- a traditional crime film where the, the mafia. If even if they weren't the lead, if the car- main character wasn't in the mafia person, they were like a a massive part of the a big part of the plot in some manner. So yeah. that's but it had to be like a traditional gangster film. Yes, like in yeah, the in yeah. the kind of that whatever the tropes and the genre of that. Cool. And to reiterate, this can be an original song penned for the movie. It can be a full score penned for the movie. It could be a needle drop of a well-established song that works well within the movie. And that's kind of the parameters thereof. Yes. And we'll see how we go. So I'll go first, if, if you don't mind. I don't at all. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, me too, man. I'm looking forward to this. Um, so my number five is, I, like, I, I felt that this was an interesting one because I think it's it's not an amazing film. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, I'm lowering the bar immediately. Yes. But I do like it's. It was one of those ones where when I was younger, I would have seen it like a million times. Rewatched it recently. It's perfectly solid. The backstory about it is quite interesting as well. But the music I always found quite captivating, and I think it's one of the things that these films do very well. Where like you know, it's kind of a cheat code because it's like, how do we establish this time and place? Well, mm. we'll have this style of music that was popular then. So without further ado, here is my number five for the Mafia movie music. And right there, right there under that lamppost there stood the man, the number one man in the neighborhood, Sonny. Everybody loved Sonny and they treated him like a god. And in my neighborhood, he was a god. And I would sit on my stoop and watch him all day and all night. But he would never even look at me. And then it smashes into uh, Dion and the Belmonts, and it's like, you know, upbeat and bright and cool. This is A Bronx Tale, uh, which was directed by Robert De Niro. He's also in it. It's based on a play by Chaz Palminteri, who's also in the movie. Uh, the song is Streets of the Bronx. The band, or the, the acapella doo-wop group, rather, are called Cool Change. And I can find no information about this act whatsoever. I don't know if they were assembled for the film itself. They're in the film. They're at the start of it, in the background, and then at the end, you know, kind of off, like to the side, almost like a Greek chorus or something, opening and closing the movie. Um, but they're still around. Like they, they've they've a very seldom active Facebook page to this day. Yeah. Um, but the music was composed by a guy called Butch Barbella, and again, I don't think he's never he ever did another score to a film ever again. Uh, a Bronx Tale. It came out in '93, I think. Are you familiar with it? I am. I saw it. Years ago on telly, my anti sales just came on, and it was one of those like when you don't know anything about it, and it starts up when you're like kind of at a, a good age, like young teenager or whatever it was, and it just comes on. You end up just watching it, and kind of it's. Uh, I, I remember really, it really drew me in, and 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 like was just such an interesting kind of world at that age. And then when I was older and I rewatched it, I remember, and when I knew I'd seen like the Scorsese films and all that, I just thought it was so odd that. Obviously, it's based on a play, but that De Niro was like doing something so close stylistically to Martin Scorsese, like something with voiceover, something that's set in that world, something with like kind of needle drop, yeah, 
pop tunes of that era and kind of the burst of violence. It was just so, it was like a kind of almost like karaoke of Scorsese, but it's obviously it's a lot gentler and it's a lot more kind of like about a family. Yeah, and also it's nowhere near as good as no. Scorsese stuff. But like, it's very solid. It's very dependable. Yeah. So like, Chaz Palminteri, whose real first name is Calogero, and Calogero is the name of the kid in this. Who you know, as as a young kid, witnesses a murder in front of him on like sitting on a stoop. He sees on the street, and Charles Palminteri said that this happened to him when he was a kid, and he wrote this one man play years and years ago when he couldn't get work. And it was a bit of a hit. Robert De Niro went to see it and loved it. And he was like, this is a movie. We've got to make a movie out of this. And Charles Palminteri says that the studios really wanted it, but he agreed to work with De Niro because obviously it's De Niro. And as long as he could be, he could play the gangster in it. Mm. And De Niro uh, directs it and plays the father of the kid who's like this kind of bus driver. So it's it's De Niro very much being like, I don't want to be typecast as gangster right now. I'll be the other guy yeah. in this one. And like, like it's it's very straightforward, but it is, and yeah, it has like Joe Pesci pops up in a cameo because, mm. of course, you know, get your mates in. I'm sure Scorsese has like an executive producer credit or something somewhere. Um, it's like it's I rewatched it recently, but I would when I was younger, I would have watched it like over and over and over again. I would have thought it was amazing. Um, it's a little bit generic. It does feel very play like in that sense. It's very kind of small, which can be good, but like. It just doesn't, it's it's half an hour too long and it doesn't quite get there. But I do love the world. It does feel like you've gone back to 60s, 70s New York. And I love the music. I love this kind of doo-wop thing. I, I assumed this was a cover of a well-known song. It isn't. It was written for the film. Oh. By this one group, or by, by your man, Butch Barbella, and then performed by this group who, again, I can't find, you know, 25 CDs by this band or whatever. So, uh, yeah, like, I mean, like, which I guess maybe speaks to the level of kind of authenticity that I thought it had but um, yeah it's good I mean like De Niro De Niro as director like it's it's fine he's a steady hand but not too doesn't yeah. have the flourishes you know I haven't seen that or I saw bits of it years ago The Good Shepherd the other one he directed the kind of spy, the spy one, history yeah. of this but I feel like he's kind of he works in this kind of low key register and like doesn't he's not he's, he's not he doesn't go for the like a lot of kind of actors turned directors he doesn't go for the kind of anything too flashy or too, he likes kind of, probably it's that kind of thing of like, how would I like to be directed on set or and just kind of like low-key kind of actor-focused and like, uh, yeah, I I, I think he's, I think it's kind of, probably suits him knowing what he's like as in this kind of very like low energy and or how he presents himself at least, this kind of low energy kind of keeps things close to the vest type kind of guy. Um. And he's 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 very good in the film, De Niro. He's he is kinda... really good in it, yeah. Um, and like the kid is good in it too. Like when he grows up to be like the the young actor, uh, Lelo Brancato. Yeah. Do you know his story? Yeah. So he was in The Sopranos briefly in like season two. He's one of the guys who shoots Chris. Yeah. And pays for it, of course. But in real life, uh, fell on extremely hard times, um, addicted to drugs, and began a criminal career. Uh, is the career the right word there? I don't know. Um, but yeah, he like him and I think his girlfriend's father robbed uh, the house of an off-duty uh, NYPD policeman who happened to be home at the time, uh, who they shot dead. This actor, Lilo Brancato, got 10 years in prison for his role in the thing. He didn't pull the trigger, but he was there. Um, you know, it's as of 2020, uh, Brancato claimed to be 13 years sober and has returned to acting, but there was definitely a promising career there. Mm. Obviously derailed by unfortunate real life struggles, but like you know, he he fit in, in like in between De Niro and Palminteri, these kind of 
you know, I was going to, like, is Palminteri a giant of the screen? I don't know, but he's certainly imposing and he's a great actor. And, like, like it, it, the film has that going for it and it does have a genuine kind of sense of time and place and I quite like that about it. But when I, when I rewatched it recently, I was just kind of like, yeah, I thought this was better. You yeah. Know? But the, I, do, I, I think the music fucking rules. Like, I think it's yeah. very, very cool. Yeah, there's, there's, it was like the je- the decade of the movie soundtracks, the kind of, kind of, as opposed to score. Obviously, there's like loads of scores in movies, but it felt like CDs were a thing and all that. It just felt like there was loads more kind of like music from and inspired by the motion picture. So, yeah, and I remember when I saw that, it was like that. That was what I took away from it. Like, don't they have a a Beatles song in the bit where they fight bikers in a bars or yeah, 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 Something stuff? Like that, yeah, there's some like kind of. It's that that's when you see it at a young age that that's kind it's of come together. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very impressionable kind of thing to see. Is like when music and kind of images are like songs that you associate just as you know their own kind of standalone things, and then you see them in this kind of kind of like an action scene or a kind of dramatic scene. It's. I will say as well. I love the image of De Niro going to Charles Palminteri's one man play and being transfixed. Yeah. By it, you know? <laughs> just like in like a black box theater. Yeah, yeah. Like it probably was some swanky enough spot, but like just some like plastic beer in a, pla- in, a in a plastic kind of festival cup and just sitting at the back. I think it was like humble enough beginnings because like there was a Broadway version and there is actually a musical of this, which I think happened in 2018. Which Everything I, is going to become a musical. Yeah, actually. for sure. All right, that's my number five. Can we have yours, please? Yes, you can. And this one is, well, it's just, it's a, yeah, again, it's a piece of music from one of my, probably one of my favourite films, uh, uh, definitely one of my favourite crime films. And it's a, a piece of score and it's just, I just think it's a beautiful piece of music. And it worked, it's used very well in at the opening of the film. That is Patrick Doyle's score for Brian De Palma's Carlito's Way, um, another 90s film uh, with Mr. Al Pacino this time. And yeah, I just, uh, <clears throat> it's one of my favourite, like one of my all-time favourite films. I, Brian De Palma's one of my all-time favourite filmmakers and I just love the, the score. He, he just, he always has very these lush, orchestral kind of scores um, kind of old Hollywood throwback scores and just that one I think your man Patrick Doyle he's just a very underrated composer he does a lot of the he did a lot of the, the Kenneth Branagh films from the 90s stuff as well again these really gorgeous kind of lush kind of scores and it just works so well for this one for Kalita's Way because it's this you know crime noir film about this gangster who was trying to go straight like really kind of classic again a throw, almost almost a throwback in itself so it kind of pairs well with that and, and it, you've got like Pacino at that meeting point between 
completely hoo-ha heat sent for woman and, uh, you know, the, the Michael Corleone, the earlier stuff. So it's like the hard living's caught up with his voice, but he hasn't leaned fully into it. And he just has this beautiful narration. Um, I'm kind of almost like kind of this elliptical kind of narration uh, as the character's on his deathbed, as you see at the start, he's shot at the start and then the film is a flashback to that. And just that narration coupled with that, that like beautiful, like, very non-gangstery type music, I just think works really well. I just the f- the first time I saw it, um, it just it just the, the score just kind of blew me away. I love it, um, and it's a film with a great soundtrack as well, uh, as in like a lot of great needle drops. You got like because it's set in the seventies. You got like you know the Hughes Corporation rock the boat. You've got a what's that one? Oyo come Oye come over. You got all this amazing kind of tunes from that era uh, on the soundtrack, but I like the score. I think just. Has it pipped? Um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's like it's it's very De Palma in the, those opening credits as well because we're kind of watching the opening credits in here in the studio. But like the yeah the music work is like it's a tragedy. Yes, so like, exactly. It's like it gives it the weight of a tragedy. This kind of like street level kind of in an era where you've got like Tarantino movies, kind of the the ironic kind of pop kind of kind of crime movies, and you've got like the Scorsese ripoffs where they're trading on like kind of. Kind of like they 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 take all the wrong lessons from Scorsese and it's yeah it's like the needle drops it's the kind of the brutal violence or whatever and then you've got this something that yeah kind of it tries to be in like the most traditional classic sense this this tragedy and like the, the music kind of speaks to that I think I was I saw this when I was you know again too young to be seeing this but I was devastated like <laughs> I was so sad and the music goes a long so way so sad and it it's just this genius thing that just works every time I see it in that it shows you in the opening sequence. That's why we're not spoiling this because like yes, it's, it's shown, not a spoiler. Yeah, the you film is Carlito's way and he's shot in the opening credits. Carlito so it's like gets you, blown away yeah. in the opening credits. <laughs> well, that's a spoiler. Oh, is it? Okay, bleep that. <laughs> bleep that. <Yeah>. But, uh, <laughs> but he, get, he gets... Damn it. No, he gets... The uh, mise-en-scene has been ruined. <laughs> yeah. We'll bleep he, it, it's fine. But he gets blown away and then flashes back and you hear yeah the beautiful music his voice comes in as he's dying I love a good either from beyond the grave or deathbed voice over in a movie um, always works for me and then you flash back to him getting out of prison and the story proceeds from there and always 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 I get lured in and I forget that the start happened and you're just like he's gonna do it he's gonna get away and he, yeah never does which is uh, I want to watch it again right now actually. oh like, it's just Perfection. I prefer to Scarface. The other yeah, I, the Scarface uh, is wildly overrated. Like I mean, like it's kind of like that's one of those ones where as a teenager you're like, that's the most yeah, fucking unreal the truth. <laughs> I mean, truth. Yeah. Like, I had I had the poster when I was <laughs> gone to college. You know, as as, you, as you're meant to do, uh, and it's like it's great crack and it's a great like satire, black comedy, uh, action, spectacular extravaganza. It's like cocaine the movie. Yeah, and <laughs> like it's just. But uh, not to say there's like, there's mounds of the stuff done in Carlito's way as well, but it's... Uh, mostly by Sean Penn. It's mostly, all of it, by, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, it's just a smaller movie. It's just, and like, it's just so, it's, I just find it to be quite, quite beautiful. And yeah, like that voiceover, like, you know, he's like, I'm so tired. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh no. Tired, baby. Tired. Oh. And he's still, he's got that like, he's doing the the uh, Latino thing but he's also is that okay like I mean like, obviously, like he's playing Cuban isn't he like for the like not for the first time uh, or... Q, uh, Tony Montana's Cuban yes and 
uh, I think Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican, yeah, I think fairly dope, well. Brigante yeah, yeah. is. Um, I feel like it gets muddy waters when you're Italian and you're, you know, and you, when you get into like it was the nineties and yeah. the eighties also, so you know, yeah. different times. Oh, see, uh, see, Pacino's big news this week. Oh, I did. And De Niro's. They both of them have. They're got, both going to be papas again. Yeah, I'm like, wow. The, these men will find any way to make that heat sequel happen. Yes, yes, fathering yes. children at the age of eighty three. Uh, yeah, Clarita's way is just like it's such a wonderful melodrama, and again, you know, just. Something gloriously nineties about it just feels like you know there's weight to the gunshots. There's like all the kind of yes, stuff like that's yeah. real. Um, yeah, it's a tragedy, and the, yeah, the music is a huge part of that. So yeah, hell of a selection. Oh, it's just loved, and one of the most some of the most like spectacular action scenes as well of the nineties. I think the chase through the the train station and just the, that whole sequence from the nightclub to the train station, avoiding the mafia, and uh, and the kind of all these people out to get him. It's it's like proper. One of the best looks of his career, I think. Oh my God! His yeah, that giant jet black duster beard as well. and the duster. <laughs> yeah. and tiles there. He looked phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really his did. hair is quaffed. Quaff, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Carlito Brigante, everybody. Okay, right. Um, yeah, go watch the movie. It's fine if you know he gets shot. It's grand. You'll forget it as you say twenty yes, minutes. Yes, you always do. And you'll, you'll Look, they all they get shot at the end of every one of these movies. <laughs> like this. Well, speaking of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Here's my number four. Uh, I should say that uh, there's a the audio I took from this like has a weird spike jump of volume at one stage. Adam will do his best to control it. Yes, but the listener the listener will be oblivious to. I don't know if they will actually <laughs> because like it was just... to leave it in. I'll just leave it the way. No, it is. no, do, work your magic okay. uh, and don't forget to bleep me as well earlier on. But um, <laughs> so this is my number four because I want to have a debate about this one. Yes. So let's uh, let's get into it. Okay. We need you, pal. You've already pretended to be a costigan from South Boston. Every weekend, sergeant. Perfect. Do it again. For me. I mean, again, this top five is just going to make me want to watch all of these movies. Yeah, again. it fucking does. And like, I don't even know. Like, like, so this is from The Departed. That's Dropkick Murphys. I'm shipping up to Boston. And also, before we even get into my little mini debate I want to have about this, um, how do we feel about, you know, the let's drop the title of the movie 20 minutes in? Like, I love it. It's the most baller fucking thing It's ever. the most audacious move. Yeah. Yeah, and this has it. And, and there's, I won't get into spoilers, but he does something very similar with, Something that may be also coming up. Yeah, um, <laughs> crossover perhaps. Crossover. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> it's we'll see. But it, no, not not necessarily. But it's it's uh, just the. Uh, that that thing is that's just such a cool thing to do. That's have like, you seen not a gangster film, but have you seen Drive My Car? I was just about to mention this because you told you no, you told me about this last year. Oh, no, the 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 is it about a taxi driver? Uh, like kind an Asian of yeah it's about film. a guy who hires yeah it, it's um, it's a beautiful foreign film that came out last year and the title card doesn't arrive until about 40 minutes in and I was just like sitting in the lighthouse being like I was like oh, oh, oh you son of a bitch I, I was just like it's I, it's such like it never fails to make me either just be like oh, oh, oh you 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 rascal you yeah. but I'm just like I love it I, I, I watched like a, a fairly average horror film the other night called Influencer and that did it like half an hour into this 90 minute horror and I was just like what the fuck are you playing at but it actually had a slight narrative reason for it. I was like okay fine fine yeah. I feel like it not, not that it has to have a narrative reason but I think if you 
if you can justify it, and that could that justification could just be good vibes. Yeah, yeah. Could literally just be yeah. Like fucking Pacific Rim does it, and I was like, all right, Guillermo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but in the Departed, the Departed, it happens. You know, about fifteen twenty minutes in, and where? Like, so take me back two thousand six. I assume you saw this in the cinema. I didn't. I was okay. in school. I rented it from Extra Vision, and I watched it. Did. I, I think I used to we didn't have a for a while we didn't have a DVD player I would watch it on the home PC I would watch DVDs I'd rent DVDs make sure we watch them on the home PC and I'm pretty sure I watched that on the home PC and immediately listened to the oh no there was no commentary on that one and then or, or maybe I watched the first on the home PC and then showed to my parents we all watched it together then maybe if we uh, on the TV after, I just remember very, it's got that very strong, like, I was in school, it was like a, like an 18s movie or getting out, uh, and it was, it was incredible. And I remember there's a very, a certain thing that happens towards the end where, I, I, yes, that was, I was watching my parents. Spoilers for it these happened. movies, by the way, like, like we have, to, the film's out. The film is okay. what, 30 years old, no, it's, <laughs> nearly. It's yeah, like 17 years someone old. Someone gets, oh, I get what you were saying. Now, someone gets their head blown off them in a way that you are not expecting it. And I remember me and my parents pausing it and rewind and watching it again, pausing it, rewind and watching Not in like a haha gory way. I just remember that we just couldn't believe that, what that just happened. happened. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like it's a character that does not get shot in the head with like another ten it's minutes so left. So unceremonious as well. And yeah. like, I, so I, I, I had seen like, this is pretentious. Dave taking the mic now. I had seen the film it's based on oh, uh, Infernal, Infernal Affairs, Affairs. <laughs> which uh, I actually think is the superior. <laughs> But anyway, right? I so I so I knew, and there's a few changes, you know. It's you know, but like, uh, and it's a longer, it's a part, it's a longer, more bloated film, and in, in good ways, um, and bad ways. But I am, um, I was in the cinema, so I was like, oh, I know what's coming. Yeah. Uh, oh, and when it happened, the fucking cinema gasped, like ga- a collective gasp. Room, I, so yeah. I saw it twice, and so I saw it in Dublin, saw it in Drada, and both times gasp. Uh, Amazing. Both times gasp, and both times people actively booing and jeering the ending of the last shot of the film that people don't ah, like. Fucking Philistines, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, okay, well, well this, is, this can help me into my main debate here because I want to know, is this is this a good needle drop? Because it's it, it's in the start and at the end. And like this, of course, song, you know, I, I think it's still a fun song, but it is, we did have the, the knock-on effect problem of every Irish-American MMA fighter until the end of time will now walk out to this. Yeah. And even Joe Biden, when he was over here in April, walked out to this. Like he's about to challenge fucking Roman Reigns for the title. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good yeah I think now if you used it in something for that reason as you've just stated no but I think at the time I mean it's it's a jolt it's, oh, it's like adrenaline yeah and yeah. like Scorsese does ugly things to give you a jolt and that's an ugly song and it jolts you out of it like I just feel like there's the the, the time the last time it's used is when the the guys are driving out at the end to for what turns out to be the final shootout, but it's like a nighttime shoot. All these like scumbag Boston mobsters, at the, in like wee hours of the morning, driving out to this like dockyards or business, wherever it is, a warehouse to do this deal. And that song is raging. And it's 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 not like he's not using music to build tension, building up to this thing. He's just playing this obnoxiously loud. Yeah, uh, and like he, he or his music supervisor, or talent machine maker, whichever yeah. one of them is responsible for the final call on this, like 
in both uses of it, like cuts it in and rips oh, yeah. it out really oh, abruptly. There's no yeah. fade in, fade in. It was like just boom in, boom out. I love, I love it. I think it's such a, it's such a different way to approach scenes like that. It's like what these degenerates would be listening to. It's what would be on the radio as they're probably, you know, doing coke, hyping themselves up to go and face down the like the the, the Chinese or whoever it was in that sequence. I can't quite remember. I think it's. It's, it's perfect. It gives you the sense of what it would be like to be in that car like around these people. Yeah, so this is like for anyone who somehow hasn't seen The Departed, uh, it's about the Irish-American mob and there's, you know, there's a moles all like like on both sides and, you know, good cops, bad cops, bad gangsters, etc. And star-studded, Scorsese, you know, writ large. Uh, I mean, like like one of the things I've written down from my main debate is, is this a good movie? But I think it is a good movie. The question oh, is, yeah, how good movie. a movie is it? It's a great movie. It's not, it's a man, it's like, a, it's an artist. It's a, like an incredible artist making a pulp thriller but doing it his way but doing it his usually when you hear that it's like doing it his way and he so it's going to be a bit pretentious or a slog and this is none of these things it's 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 as entertaining as like if some like solid hand action movie director took over uh it's just so fun he's just having a blast it's, it's like there's like little weird little mini jokes in it. I think it's I think it's a legit great movie. It's a great movie in a different way to like his his like staggering masterpieces. Yeah. But it's like he's like experimenting with it. He's doing mental stuff with the camera in it. Uh yeah, you get these weird like iris in shots yeah. for no reason. Like like it's a weird, like, you know, it's like a fucking like French detective film or something. You're like, what's that here for? Completely. You know? And like there's like the the there's like these like lurches, the camera like lurches into scenes sometimes, just like kind of it's it's a not it's an ugly movie by design yeah. and I think it's a very experimental movie in terms of like pure from a purely technical level and not experimental in a way where you're like he's trying to be he's trying to hitchcock it and make make it this sleek piece of craftsmanship. It's like experimental in terms of like you're getting what you want from the plot of these things. I'm just gonna be really jaggedy and weird and and kind of mess with the mess with the, the frame yeah. and, I've and always had a few problems with like I think you know Nicholson's performance you can take it or leave it yeah. uh, you know it, too many headshots at the end all that kind of stuff and like you know it's a bit it's a bit of a mess but like it is it's supremely rewatchable uh, it's so rewatchable I could watch it right now yeah. again and it's, I've seen it probably, like probably six seven times even though I, I, I've always been like why am I maybe it is that's goodness that you mentioned like it is it's, it's kind of gross and and I think you can there's just you, you can rewatch it because it's so entertaining but you're also going to get something new each time not 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 spiritually, but just like from like some notice, some funny little minor character or kind of lie throwaway line and stuff like that. There's just because it's so he crams so much into it. It's so fast moving and it's so plot heavy that you just you're. It's impossible to get everything each time. Yeah. So yeah. I think you're just gonna keep finding these little. Apparently, this like I read this before, where apparently like before someone like prominent is about to get killed. Like if you like, there's apparently there's the X's in the, yeah. in the background somewhere. Yeah. It's like, it's it's the throwback to Howard Hawks, the Scarface, the original Scarface. He had like anytime there's someone getting killed, they do X. Uh, they like be it a, a two cross beams on a ceiling, or uh, I think it was. Someone gets murdered in a bowling alley, so there's like X, the, the X's for the scoreboard. Right, yeah. So like, um, so that so then he yeah he was like, I'm making my my Warner Brothers like kind of crime you know saga, so I'm gonna start have that as a little kind of like nod or yeah. And who doesn't love you know like uh, endless amounts of over the top Boston accents? I always oh, enjoy that. Oh, it's so it's it's like music to my ears. It's great. I still think uh, I love Jeremy Renner in the Ten. 
Yes. When, uh, you know, like he shoots the guy in the legs and he's like, there goes college soccer. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> anyway, that's my number four, The Departed, uh, which, yeah, again, I, I, I just know I'm going to go home tonight and watch it again. Oh, I want to watch it now. <laughs> so it's just so good. Okay. So my number four is, uh, it's a classic in my eyes. Again, another 90s one. I think it's just in 1990. And, uh, yeah, I just think it's, again, it's kind of, it's the Carlitos Way one again of like, just a really beautiful piece of music that I think sums up the the energy of, or the, or the, the tone of the film and the central character kind of gives it, kind of, kind of gives it some weight and is, is uh, I just think it's a genuinely beautiful piece of music as well. That is Carter Burwell, Burwell's uh, opening titles uh, score for Miller's Crossing from 1990 by the Coen Brothers. So yeah, it's uh, it's just yeah, like just as you hear, like a gorgeous kind of piece of music. It's uh, Carter Burwell starting his well, maybe not maybe not quite starting, but he he'd uh, doing a long kind of relationship with the Coen Brothers, and this was apparently his first time ever writing uh, and arranging an orchestral score so it was a obviously a big learning experience for him but Miller's Crossing is it's set in, in this unnamed town it's kind of influenced by like the novels of Dashiell Hammett like Red Harvest and the Glass Key and it's about this gang war that erupts between uh, the Irish mob and the Italian mafia in the in during Prohibition era um, America and the main character Gabriel Byrne plays him called Tom is like the consigliere to the to the Irish mob boss and he's this very placid kind of not placid very um, he's just an unreadable man kind of stoic like, stoic yeah. man who's playing all these sides against each other uh, in in a very kind of you know in the manner where you're never quite sure until the very end and he just see he's a very cynical hard drinking gambling guy who you never you never you feel like is has cut you know no, cares for no one and but the reality is he's uh, he feels deeply and it is heavily implied is in love with his his boss uh, Leo and it the kind of score Carter Burwell was saying and, and you think you hear it it's almost like it reflects his inner like the kind of the love that he has and this kind of very sentimental like soft kind of inner workings of this guy who's just got this kind of calcified outer shell and he never breaks it really for the entire film so it's up to the actions he does and the subtext of the film and this music to kind of show kind of what's going on underneath I suppose yeah uh, one of my favourite films it's stunning like it, one of the best Coen Brothers movies Gabriel Byrne's best performance maybe oh I, I, I mean I'm no expert on his back catalogue but by god it will be hard pressed to beat it and yeah, it's it's 
it's a kind of a perfect movie. It's one of those lovely movies you watch, you're like, oh, it's like they made it just for me. You know, when a film like that comes along and it's just everything about it, yeah. everything about it is just perfect, just warm inside kind of stuff. That music, like... uh if you like, if you tell me that played at the end of Scent of a Woman, I'd be like, yeah, it has that kind of, you know, that yeah, it feels very inspirational or something, you know. And I think that's the jo- the joy because the film without it, it would be this, like this very cynical, nihilistic, nihilistic. Yeah. No one trusts anyone. Uh, no, you know, it, out for your out for themselves kind of crime noir, but because it's there, and with a few like. I think it's the biggest of several kind of clues that it's like there's more going on than you think. And like, it just like, he says he, like he deliberately went, it was like getting, it's an old kind of like sentimental kind of sappy Irish melody that he sought out and it just turned it into this like gorgeous kind of swelling. Yeah, kind of. it's like, and then like, you know, again, Miller's Crossing, if you haven't seen like, you know, these these are dark characters, but there is there is lightness of touch to it, and there is there's a wit like the characters like 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 the the dialogue is so snappy, oh, so good. the the Danny Boy sequence with Albert Finney. I was toying with it, and I was like, I just prefer this bit of music more than that. But yeah. that came... that's a phenomenal sequence, though, which I won't yeah. spoil for anyone who hasn't seen the film. Uh, the characters, you know, like the actors, you got like a small. I think Steve Buscemi made his debut here, possibly. Yeah, he's it's got a he's got a great little kind of turn, fast talking thing. Yeah, on. John Turturro, uh, Marsha Gay Harden. It's it's absolutely tremendous. Um, even like I think Jay Freeman's in this as well. And he is. He's John Polito. Um, it's it, it, it's it's a gorgeous film, and I, like there's even like little touches, like you know. Gabriel Byrne's character wears this hat and it's clearly of value to him for some mm-hmm. reason. Apparently mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a story where like Gabriel Byrne apparently went up to the Coen brothers on set and was like, what's the deal with the hat? Like, why is he so... And they're like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, it's clearly of massive importance. And apparently yeah. like whichever Coen brother he was talking to was like, yeah, it is important. And then walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure was music to Gabriel Byrne's ears. Jesus they're, Christ. They are very kind of uh, uh, obtuse and flippant about kind of any reading meaning in behind things but like just watch any noir from the 40s and you will see the kind of things that they imbue with kind of import in their films because of how they make them that's they there's always there's oftentimes some equivalent in uh in an old like kind of f- forgotten noir that you can find a bad rip of on youtube uh which is i often do and you're like oh the, it's they the cones are just taking the kind of that iconography and then imbuing it with all this kind of uh, portent and then the actors then are like but what does it mean and obviously you're doing this glor- lovely beautiful close up of the hat on the on the table like it must it must mean something about my character and it probably does but uh, it's also it's you know it's just these classic noir kind of trappings and kind of cry movie trappings that yeah, gonna... uh, we're not we're not going to tell you. And yeah. again, and Carter Burwell, like I mean, has made some exceptional music over the years. Oh my god, yeah, this is definitely up there. Uh, yeah, again, you know, like broken record here, but like I, I'm like now I must revisit Miller's Crossing. It's been too long. It's I I I would watch it every month. I would like happily watch <laughs> it every month, and uh, it's it's just so good. And I would also recommend read Red Harvest and the Glass Key uh, because they. Coen Brothers owed the estate of Dashiell Hammett some money uh, in, because, as much as I love the film they're, they're, it's not like it's it's. I, I don't think they'd be shy about admitting it uh, but they're they're both great books and if you kind of if you like that kind of sense of th- that world and that kind of sense of humour and that kind of 
I don't know what you call it, like the, the, the tone of that film, the whole book's kind of there, like another fix, way of getting that fix. Okay, uh, um, number three for me is a grace note that follows a lot of carnage. So, yes, this is a piece of music by uh, a little-known band that I never talk about called Nine Inch Nails. And uh, this is 13 Ghosts 2, taken from the ghosts things that they do, all the instrumental kind of stuff. This is used at the very end of The Raid 2, oh. which is uh, an Indonesian gangster film. The first one, you know, set in a tower block, all action, all chaos, love it. But the sequel, which basically wants to be heat, uh, is like two and a half hours long to the film. The first one's 90 minutes or so. And like some people think it's, you know, it's too bloated and too sprawling. And it is. But I think it's exceptional. I think it's absolutely amazing. And then after the ending, like which is this unbelievable action climax, you get our main character here played by Yuka Uwe, who walks out, you know, like spoilers, you know, you know, he's the hero, guys. Uh, he walks out like you know, having left all these bodies in his wake, essentially, and he's confronted by another gang, and you're just and he's beaten to bits. It's like, no, this man should not be alive. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the film knows it's ridiculous, but Jesus Christ! And all he wants to do is get back to his family and get away from all this horrible nightmare. And you, you don't even hear the dialogue between the other gang, but they're looking at him with surprise, like what, like what the fuck? You've killed all our enemies, and he just says, "I'm done." Like, no thanks, I'm done. And this is playing over it. And it's just, it's such a wonderful, soft approach to a comparison to everything that's happened in the previous two and a half hours of just relentless violence. And I love it. And then it kicks into another Nine Snails track over the end credits, which is this is absolute kind of banger to, you know, have you walking out of the yes. cinema. And I assume, like, I mean, like, uh, Gareth Edwards, is it Evans or Edwards? I always fuck that one up. I think it's Evans. It Our, is Evans. Yeah, I think you're right. There are two of them out there. Yeah, got to look it up. One of them did Monsters, which is an amazing film uh, yeah. back in 2010, and then did Rogue One, but, you know, was booted off it. Booted off, yeah. Um, I think it's Evans. I, I should know this. It's I've seen The Raid and The Raid 2. I've seen The Raid 2 in particular like about five or six times. It's Gareth Evans. And I assume he was just like, this works, let's use this. And all the all the requisite business contracts were, were signed. You know, this isn't an original composition for a film in the way that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross would go on to do together. And um, we didn't mention the news, but they are doing the new Teenage, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles oh, movie. Oh, <laughs> Which is like, okay, well, lads. Anticipated score of the century, guys. <laughs> yeah. As one of my friends said, if, if they do like a Streets of Rage style thing with it, it could be amazing. I oh. think like given their industrial leanings, leanings yeah. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. But I do love, and, and like again, the music in the Ray too, by the way, is absolutely incredible. The original score is phenomenal, and there's like there's a car chase scene that has this incredibly propulsive thing in it, and then there's this kitchen fight at the end, which is just outrageous. The track is called Showdown, and it's you know, adrenaline pumping doesn't even begin to describe it. But I love, I just love this gorgeous piano, and you got like Trent Reznor kind of like doing like this weird kind of like staggered breaths over it as well and it's just fucking beautiful so I was yeah. like I found myself you know when, when, when this topic was suggested I found myself putting down a couple of them pretty quickly and I was like I'm going to ace this in no yeah. time and then I found myself scrambling as I always do and then I was like wait a minute The Raid 2 is technically a gangster film technically a mafia film there are opposing mafia people in it that'll do and I love this track <laughs> it's, it's been in my on repeat for the last three months or so I love it it's, so it's Nine Snails check out their ghost stuff this is 13 Ghosts 2 it's amazing 
And that's my number three. I, I, I haven't, I, The Raid is a masterpiece which I've only ever seen once in the cinema. One of the great cinematic experiences of my life, which is probably why I'm, I'm scared to go back to it in <laughs> uh, like, you know, on, just on a regular old telly. But The Raid 2. Have it kind of crystallised in your yes, memory. Yes, just thing, like yeah. one of the, like same reason I haven't watched Fury Road since the cinema. Uh, it's just, it was just like, you know, you're kind of talking about just a perfect kind of contained experience that uh, you'll never replicate again the same way. But uh, the rate, I remember, I haven't seen the rate too, but I remember hearing that about it and that, it, what you said, I mean, about, uh, oh, it's it's this big epic kind of gangster, you know, Godfather kind of gangster saga about warring gangs. And I think it was presented in a negative way in whatever review I read. But I remember just thinking, that sounds class. That's the way to do it. Don't go the, the raid point yeah, now he's two. in another building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like... Like, don't try and recapture the magic. Just why not just go ham and... It's got some flaws, no doubt. But I, for some reason, like, to me, like, those flaws are, like, feature, not bug. And yeah. I'm just, like, I'm yeah. really drawn in by it. And I just find it super watchable. I love it. I wish we got a third one. We are supposed to get a third one. It looks like it's never going to happen. But uh, please, please watch The Raid too. Did you... Have you seen Gangs of London, his TV show? Yeah, it's not great. Okay, no. okay. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. It's really fucking nasty for the sake of it. Is yeah, that the yeah. one with the guy from Peaky Blinders yeah. in it? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. The lead. I, I have yeah. seen He's in it. two seasons of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Joe Cole, is that his name? Um, yeah. And it's yeah, like, it is, he, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, and Sope Derizu plays the main guy. He's really good in it, but like, it's very silly. They, they made two seasons and I was actually stunned that it came back for a second season because I was like, did this do well? Yeah. The choreography and the violence is genuinely impressive at times, but it's just really nasty. It's It, it basically is like, what if EastEnders was uh, horrific in terms yeah. of its violence? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just like, yeah, like it, it's 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 really stupid. Like it's mm. such a soap. Like it's like it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, yeah. um, I've seen both seasons. I think it's absolute trash. And if they have a season three, oh, yeah. I will watch all of the episodes. <laughs> yeah, because I'm in now. You yeah, know, it's exactly, like the Fast yeah. and the Furious season uh, series, which is terrible now. But I'm like, I have to finish yes. it. Yeah, I have to finish it. I'm Stick a, the landing. I'm you a know. completist, but we'll, we'll we'll finish this list eventually because we're going to move on for now. So can I please have your number three? In my the, number three in this here list. I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> so my number three. This was the one in my preamble where I was like afraid of seeming very like pretentious, whatever. It's my justification was for for it is first of all it doesn't need any justification. It's an amazing film and cool piece of music, but it's um, I won't say what it is yet. But it's uh, it's the, f- the basically the foundation of the mob movie needle drop score. It's a needle drop effectively. <laughs> So yeah, that is I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, the popular song, uh, what a musical song, I suppose, from uh, 1931's The Public Enemy, uh, which is a Warner Brothers kind of classic gangster movie from that old era, kind of pre-code. But I picked it because, not that it's the best banger or the most uh, get the blood pumping tune, but I just thought in terms of like, it kind of, for what we're doing here, it's like, it's the origin. It's like the kind of the 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 first time someone 
I don't want to say definitively the first time, but I feel like it's the first time in a something that has endured uh, that someone took popular music, a popular song or piece of music and used it juxtaposed with kind of like horrible, violent uh, scenes in a kind of crime movie. And like it's it it plays over the opening credits, it plays throughout the film and then at the end, which is this horrible, horrible shock and for the time and now ending, it plays, again, juxtaposed against some of the most horrific kind of stuff you'll ever see. And uh, I think like Scorsese himself has said, that's kind of what gave, almost gave him permission for his, when he was working in Warner Brothers making gangster movies and he he's making things like Goodfellas, uh, he was kind of, he said that was kind of, he, he saw himself in that lineage, uh, both the films he was making and kind of the kind of techniques like that. Like, and I feel like when he's doing stuff, even with uh, shipping up to Boston, when he brings it back, or or give me shelter, when he when he has it twice in the film, I feel like it's something like he's thinking of that kind of thing of like using a song almost as this recurring motif throughout the film, uh, and you know means different things when it appears each time. So yeah. That, uh, that kind of contrast as well. I wonder if, you know, like, there was some kind of, you know, Twin Peaks episode eight-esque thing that went out into the world and that's how we got Quentin Tarantino down the road. Who I love, by the way. I love Tarantino. Oh, and I, I love, and I love his needle drops. Me. But, um, you know, that kind of like, you know, I suppose, I, I wonder like what it must have been like, you know, to be confronted with this at a time when cinema was this and not, you know, we've seen everything, we've heard everything, you know, probably genuinely revolutionary. That's, that's kind of what the kind of like little, thought experiments I love to do like it's like what would it have been like the first time something like that and just uh, yeah it must have been so exciting and like it's James Cagney's first like proper gangster role and like he like he's incredible like it'd be like see like seeing I remember seeing Tom Hardy for the first time and like we're like what who is this guy and I feel like it was kind of a similar thing back then like seeing Cagney in this like he plays the lead in this Tom Paris. It's Irish. It's an Irish uh, gangs uh, as they always were back then. Uh, they, as in, like in terms of how they were shown in films, it was always like the Irish. Um, very seldom the Italians. Well, that's not strictly true. But Cagney played plays Tom Paris, the lead character, the titular public enemy. But in the filming of it, the guy who plays his best friend and him. We're in different roles. The he, the guy was playing the lead role and he played the best friend role and the director, while Bill Wellman, just was like, oh, looking back at the rush, he's like, no, this is, this guy is the star. This other guy is, is not. So they swap roles. But they're at the start of the film, there's like the characters as kids coming up in the tenements, uh, you know, seeing how they got started on their life of crime. And the kids just, they'd already shot that stuff. So the it's like clearly the kid cast to look very like the very distinctive Jimmy Cagney <laughs> is just not Jimmy. So it is quite confusing if you didn't know that going in. But uh, it's a it's a really cool film, and I would like it's nineteen thirty one. Like it's as old as talkies get. Like so, it's you know it's it's not for the casual film goer. I don't think to go in, but it's it's punchy. You can see how the the gangster movie kind of evolved from that into into what it, what we know like kind of classic and it's just it's a I think it's a great watch and it's kind of it's gnarly it's even now parts of it 
I think it's uh, I think it's fitting to kind of move to what I've got up next because like you're going from one era to not the end of an era but like something that is signaling the beginning of the ending of an era now with mine and also we mentioned Scorsese a lot it is a Scorsese how could it not be I, I haven't gone with Gimme Shelter even though he will uh, he, he will play that song probably at his funeral which hopefully doesn't happen for another 30 years somehow. You know, we want Marty to, to be in the world. But like one of the reasons why we're doing this top five is because Scorsese's been in the news lately yes. promoting his new film. And, you know, there was that interview he did recently where he was saying, uh, there's not enough time anymore. Yes. Oh, my God, what a quote. The saddest thing. You know, like he's like, I'm, I'm in my 80s now and like there's so many movies I, I still want to make. And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. So I was like, oh, this would be good. We can kind of celebrate some stuff. So uh, this, is, this is the opening of a film of his, which I rewatched recently and I, I I thought the second time round was like I liked it the first time but now I think it's a fucking classic when I was young I, I thought house painters painted houses <laughs> what did I know I was a working guy Business agent for Teamster Local 107 out of South Philly. One of a thousand working stiffs. Until I wasn't no more. And then I started painting houses myself. So yeah, that's uh, that's uh, The Irishman by Martin Scorsese. That is In the Still of the Night by the five satins and it opens that film you can hear De Niro there and uh, I guess this is the part where we're going to have to derail the podcast slightly because like I say I don't know what's been chosen but you know we, we've it's happened it, it's happened do you want to explain what's happened yes my number one <laughs> choice is uh, the five satins version of In the Still of the Night from the film The Irishman oh my yeah. god <laughs> <laughs> so, crossover class I'm so glad because god I this film needs the all all it's, all the love that it gets lots of love but it deserves more so it deserves glad. more yeah so yeah so this is my number two it's Peter's number one but he's still got one more to go after this don't you so I like, do yeah it's I fine do. We, we, we've had some kind of you know we, we had a big powwow there as the song was playing out so <laughs> I'm gonna completely fess up and say it was my fault it wasn't your fault it's <laughs> gonna be your fault it's what it is fault. it is what it is as De Niro would say um, but let's just talk about the Irishman and the music and the whole damn thing mm. uh, <sighs> I rewatched this three and a half hour monstrosity I say monstrosity <laughs> uh, in terms of its grand Grandiosity. Uh, <laughs> recently, having seen it in the cinema, and I liked it in the cinema. I thought it was very, very good. But I came away from it being like, that was really, really good. I just wish I kind of cared more about it. I didn't really feel anything. Then I rewatched it there about, it was at the start of the month, just gone. So yeah, like li- literally a month ago. And I was like, fuck me. <laughs> this is incredible. And I am blown away emotionally by this. And th- that opening scene with yeah. that song. Jesus Christ, Marty. Yeah, it's, and just De Niro mumbling, like barely stringing a sentence together in this kind of chair. Um, Yeah, it's, I'm going to go hard here and just say it's my favourite film ever made. I love it beyond belief. I saw it in the cinema as well and I loved it then and I've watched it a few times since and it's, it just, it's like, literally everything I could want in a film and it's also like I just I think it's one of the most devastating things I've ever seen that like that last hour I just like I just don't think you'll like it's 
emotionally wrought and it's like a, it's so hard to watch isn't yeah, it? yeah but you can't like you can't stop you, you, yeah it's a great great movie I've I've seen it one time and I think I had to break it up yeah. <laughs> two well, this, this is the thing cause, like this is where I'm going to be an asshole now because like this thing of like it's fine if you do it's a very long film it's three and a half hours long yeah. and you know not everyone has the time to just sit down and watch The Irishman but like there was this thing when it came out because obviously it got a limited cinema yeah. run and then it went on Netflix yeah. but like there was these articles, you know, and like, they were just like, here's how to watch The Irishman. And it's like, oh, fuck God. off. Yeah. Okay, that wasn't the case. I'm no, pretty I'm not, sure. I'm not saying, I'm, not I'm pretty <laughs> sure I just fell asleep. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Which, is Which I have done watching The Irishman. I like, I, 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 I it's, a, it's, is this a comfort film for you? It is. Weirdly, okay. it is. Weirdly, it's a film that, um, like earlier this year, say for example, I was by myself in the house where there, there's going through some, family stuff that and then I was quite isolated in the house and it's just like kind of a film you watch uh, when you know it well and you the characters are like you just know the characters now and they're so rich those characters uh, possibly because they're real people a lot of them but the, it's um, and it's just you can just get so much out of it you can get like just a a, a story of a, of a kind of organised crime in America and like you know a mob story and you also get this kind of devastating story about a man who's just like just wasted his life enslaved to this horrible uh, system and uh, how it destroys his the only pure friendship he ever had. Uh, there's it's it's just mass. It genuinely is a comfort film to me because you can, if you've seen it enough times, you can go into it and just enjoy the kind of some of the surface level stuff uh, and just kind of because there's so much of that. And uh, but you can also you know you can also sit down for a full meal of it yeah for the three yeah. and a half hours and just if you know and just baste yourself in it it's just ah so good it's um like like there's so many little details in it like especially towards the end like uh, where you know just him haggling for his coffin and stuff oh you're like fuck it <laughs> with Action Bronson selling him a coffin yeah. great <laughs> it, cameo yeah incredible cameo and yeah but the, the song which bookends the film and it just it has such an air of doom to it and mm-hmm. it's it, it's it's a beautiful song it's absolutely gorgeous it's I, have a, so beautiful. I have a quote here from uh, Randall Poster who's the film's music supervisor I think it's a very evocative piece of music he says in terms of the vocal styling great ethereal quality Poster says that Scorsese chose the song, perhaps because it speaks to his own past. Quote, Marty is very instinct about the music he chooses. He's an affinity to one song or another. I think it landed and became sort of a bookend for the movie. I think every director, all of us, we have songs from the past that either spark a particular memory or seemingly we're going to be the harbingers of adulthood. Um, Scorsese spent over 10 years trying to make this film. And uh, it seems he spent a long time waiting for the opportunity to use the song perfectly, which he does. This is De Niro's film, right? I mean, everyone's great in it, but like De Niro, oh, that performance yeah, yeah. is, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it is the, it's the guy who's just, it, like to be the greatest at your field, like unbeatably the greatest at your field. And then to spend probably twice as long coasting off that and kind of becoming a bit of a punchline but still unable to shake the the like the weight of like the work you did early on and then to come with back with this and you're like oh no he still has it it's not like he lost it it's like he still has like in like just depth of like skill and performance level inside of him it's i it's 
one of my favourite performances of all time. I think he's in, he's incredible in it. I don't even mind the uncanny valiness of the de-aging. Yes, no. we all know that one scene is absolutely problematic because it looks not great. Yeah. It does in fact look like a late 70s man He's meant to be a no. late late twenties man, you know, kicking a man, and it, it doesn't look good. We, no, like, it doesn't. There's no getting around it. it no. It's become a punchline in and of itself. But the film gets past that pretty quickly. It <laughs> does, and I feel like I never watch it, and I never like, I never dwell on where they're, what age they're meant to be. Now I kind of take them as the same age throughout, almost in a weird way. I'm like, you're just watching these characters over time, and I still, I'm still so invested in their relationships and and what I buy the the depth and the length of their f- friendships and stuff like that there's no I'm not I am I really maybe I'm just kind of too forgiven of this stuff but I really it does not bother me at all and it's it's a memory piece so there's an argument to be made that you know it's this old kind of senile guy's reminiscence of kind of things that may or may not have happened. And it's like the people, like people are going to kind of look their most recent selves uh, as he knows them in his memory, even when he's imagined them young. Uh, Again, that could be coping, as they say, but that really doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. And lastly, what I will say as well, I've got a friend who uh, whenever he like goes out and like if, if he's going out and leaving his dog in the house, to distract the dog, he throws on the Irishman. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So that dog has seen the Irishman like a lot. That dog's <laughs> the best life ever. I'd love to see that opinion piece. Yeah. And again, <laughs> and, and, but I've been there when he's thrown on and I've literally like walked out the door as you can just hear like, you know, shut up, do we know. Like, see you later, Stan. Click. <laughs> I mean, it must be, dogs love Elphilus and that's just three and a half hours of just Elphilus. Yeah, maybe even, even the, when they're meant to be Elphilus. Yeah, I just think. Even the dog is like, oh, this one scene isn't working for yeah, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what the hell? Have, uh, last thing on the Irishman. Have you seen the like the making the Irishman on the Nef- on Nef- on the Netflix? Is it the one where they sit around the yes. table? Yes, I have. It's about twenty five minutes long or so, and it's yeah. incredible because like it's Scorsese, De Niro, Pesci, and Pacino, and you can tell so much from it. Like mm. you can tell that De Niro and Pesci have like a tight friendship. Yeah. And Pacino's the outsider, and I think Pesci doesn't quite trust him or something. Yes. He's yeah, weirdly yeah. standoffish to him, and De Niro, you know, who's always been a bit awkward, is being awkward. Pesci's being cool. Scorsese is rambling, as he always does, in a beautiful Scorsese way. But Pacino's just happy to be there. He seems like the jolliest man going and like, kind of that like, how did I get here? Kind of, <laughs> even though he's like, again, one of the greatest to ever do it. And he's it. fantastic in this film. He but he, he has a moment where he's asking Scorsese about like, you know, the de-aging process that we've been talking about. And he literally just goes, Marty, how do you do it with the, uh, with the computers? <laughs> And Scorsese's like, well, Al, you, yeah. first you got all these cameras, you know, and then you, and it's just like, we're the computers. <laughs> Literally a da asking how yeah, it yeah, works. Exactly, yeah. yeah, Wonderful stuff. Can you make the text? I hear he's working phone, in like, computers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's The Irishman, which again, I'm just like, fuck me. Uh, it, it gets better. It gets better as it goes. That's what I was saying, actually. One last thing that was the audaciousness of the, the drop and the, the late time. Oh, yeah. It's like, he wants to call it uh, I Heard You Paint Houses, which is a much better title name than the book. Much better title. Obviously, Netflix didn't want that and made him called The Irishman, but he just puts the title of the film. He obviously got final cut. That was his, <laughs> in his deal. And he just literally just calls it, within the film, I Heard You Paint Houses, which is a very funny thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and it's a cool title. Uh, 
sequence, well, not sequence, but just the way it comes up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it is jarring because you're like, what? Like, well, uh, but this yes. film is called The Irishman. Yeah. This make well, have I come into the wrong theater? <laughs> right. Uh, can we have your number two, please? We've, yes. had, we've, we've had your number one, of course. Already. Yeah, my there. number. Uh, yeah, this is it's, it's not anticlimactic at all. It's a great tune, but uh, obviously, there's yeah. I was I so effusive about The Irishman that it, the only way is down. This is I just to give it an intro. It is. Um, a film that, or uh, sorry, a piece of music that for me, it's just like, you hear it and it's like, oh, well, this is the perfect score for this type of movie. It literally is like the most kind of perfect score for the type of movie it is. My man, Ennio Morricone, uh, with The Sicilian Clan, uh, which is the score for the movie The Sicilian Clan, which is directed by, I'm going to butcher his name, Henri Verneuil. Uh, it's uh, a French-Italian co-production from 1969. It's about, a, it's got Alain Delon, uh, who's in like a load of classic French crime films, and Jean Gabin as well. And it's about this French jewel thief who gets busted out of jail by this Sicilian mafia. Uh, because the mob boss, Jean Gabin, the godfather, wants him to pull off a heist for them. And he ends up getting embroiled in their family affairs and it just goes off very badly. Um, but it's a, it's a mafia movie and it's a heist movie. The heist takes place in midair on a plane. They literally, like it's one of those like class, like, you know, in the 60s, the heist movie craze was so much, you know, the, since the film Rafifi, uh, that it, it, every heist had to be bigger than the last, and uh, by the this by the end of the decade, literally it was like hijacking a plane in midair, or not like in a in a very cool kind of um, kind of heist movie way, and uh, yeah, I just think it's like a score where it's about it's a film about the mafia. It's kind of it's made by you know kind of like Europeans it's uh, it's a kind of a heist movie and I just think that score it doesn't get more like you just, it could not that could never be a score for a horror film or a romantic comedy it just has to be about uh, Sicilian mafia lads pulling off an airplane heist it's just, it's just I just think it's a perfect piece of music and uh, I love Enyo and had to get him in I did wonder uh, if you would feature I thought he might I thought you might go Untouchables Untouchables is a perfect score Untouchables is up there as well and once upon a time in America I was very close to doing that but um, I just thought that this again it's 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 a class piece of music and it's also I'll give the the, the music and the movie a shout out because The Untouchables and Once Upon a Time obviously they they're well established now I just thought that was a a nice little not unknown piece of music but it's a less familiar piece of music but The Untouchables score is incredible so good so rhythmic yeah. Um um, almost a character in and of itself um, <laughs> I must confess this is a blind spot for me um, can we have the title one more time it's called The Sicilian Clan um, and it's from 1969 I, I've got a copy of it on DVD I don't know where you would find to watch it but uh, it's well it's so it's just grey crack it's like it's not heavy it's not it's just it's a it's like 
fun, mean little gangster movie from another era when uh, when they were making that shit for a lot of money. So, you know, the, the money's on screen and everyone's everyone looks like they just rolled out of an orgy. I thought you were going <laughs> uh, to go with when men were men. <laughs> I mean, I when men were men, let's be honest. Like, no. uh, like Jean Gabin plays the, the mafia boss, the godfather figure. The, and like, I've never seen someone so close to like a massive coronary on screen. Like <laughs> he, he, it's like just this, he's huge first of all. It's got, have you seen the way Gerard Depardieu looks now? Mm. Yeah. He looks like that, like that, like red, like face with all the capillaries in it and like the big schnoz of like, that man probably drinks two bottles of wine for breakfast. Like, <laughs> And the voice is just like, no one has a voice like that anymore where it's just this like low rumble. Uh, just like one of those, like God, we we used to be a proper country, kind of like watching, like, like well, I we used to make things. Yeah, <laughs> men used to look like that. Like, we, no one has the capacity to look like that anymore. Uh, but uh, it'd be illegal. It would be illegal. They'd lock you, throw you in prison. PC gone mad. But uh, yeah, no, I I I comes with. I'm not saying my highest recommendation, but like it's a lot of a lot of fun. It sounds like his highest recommendation to me, Adam. Yeah. So I don't know about you. Damn it. Okay, um, that's one I will check out. So finally, we've had your number one. It's the Irishman. Here's my number one. Um, I I didn't go into this list to be repetitive. I didn't think I was that enamored with this filmmaker, but apparently I am, and it's got to be. And I will say the track itself. Um, irrespective of this, I, I don't think it wasn't that I, I did rewatch this recently, but it wasn't because of this. But I have been walking around for the last two weeks listening to this song on repeat constantly. And I have had, you know, friends fear he's saying that this might be the best song of all time again. And I'm like, you know what? It might be. So here we go. Here's how it's used in this movie. And at the end of the day, they finally came to see me with the pictures. Why protect a friend who betrayed you like that? But I didn't want to look at him. I didn't want to look at the guys who brought him either. Your Honor, as you can see, my clients are elderly and infirm. Any incarceration could pose a serious health risk. When the bosses were arrested, some of them were so old they needed doctors at their arraignment. And pretrial services recommends that bail remain as presently set. Go ahead and take a 10-minute recess. When it looked like they could get 25 years to life in prison just for skimming a casino, sick or no fucking sick, you knew people were going to get clipped. So today the arraignment, they had this meeting right in the back of the courthouse. See, when something like this happens, you know how things are going to work out. It's always better with no witnesses. So uh, that's Joe Pesci speaking over, and De Niro speaking over uh, the montage uh, that precedes one of the most gruesome montages oh you'll ever see. God. At the end of Casino by Martin Scorsese, the song is House of the Rising Sun. The version is by Newcastle band The Animals. And it's one of the songs that dates back to, like, we can't, decide when this originally emerged it's, it's been covered and covered and covered it's and been covered. around yeah, since like the yeah. fucking like I want to say the 17th century or something or like, yeah. like the song was first collected in Appalachian late in the, in the 1930s but has its roots in traditional English folk song like it's one of those ones where people have disputed you know who like, who did it first essentially but the animals uh, version from 1964 is fucking incredible incredible and the video of the animals by the way Performing this song is is amazing. It's like a Kubrick film or something. It looks uh, in, in, in absolutely incredible. I keep using that word, but it really, really is. And I've just found myself walking around town listening to this song on repeat in recent days, being like, this is the greatest song of all time. It might be. So here's the thing, right? Casino. Um, rewatched it recently. It's very fucking long. 
It's it's Marnie's Magnolia, and I won't explain that. <laughs> but it's just like, and it's so grim. Like the the murder montage that follows, uh, like at the end of that clip, haunts me to this day. Yeah. Especially what happens to one of the main characters, yeah. and it is just so horrifically violent. But again, Scorsese films. He's accused often of being, you know, this gruesome, you know, bloodbath hound. But like. There's a point to it. You know, you have to have the fall. And also, you know, often based on real life and these things did happen. But uh, did you know that this was originally supposed to play over the opening credits of Casino? What? So I only learned this this week because I listened to the commentary track. And I've got a clip of that right now. Here's Martin Scorsese talking over the opening credits, uh, the Saul Bass opening credits, and uh, what went down. And again, if you like Scorsese rambling, here you go. Oh, God, my eyes. <laughs> the use of the Bach music, uh, the, the uh, St. Matthew Passion, which is over the top. And uh, originally the film was going to open with um, the music I use at the end, um, the animal's version of uh, House of the Rising Sun. And that's where the body was going to go be flying in the air, because that was designed, that was in, that's in the script. The script is very close to what the picture became, um, and the design of uh, De Niro's character, Rothstein, flying in the air. And then Saul and Elaine Bass put that title sequence together, and I thought it would be more interesting to blast it and have the sense of um, the music that is that is sacred music, in a sense. Sacred music, St. Matthew Passion. Um, sacred music, which is um, the soundtrack for a story about people who are profane. Uh, because the idea is that in Christian thinking, there is no such thing. Every person is worth God's love. Every person is worth the value of their life. Is everyone irredeemable? Those are my thoughts. And those are, those are I don't say that to the actor. But this is what goes on in the back of my mind. I said, why shouldn't they have their paradise? This is a filmmaker who people, Marvel fans want to stop this man and say that he only makes one film over and over again. I want to, I want, they deserve death. They deserve, <laughs> he, what he said there about everyone, why don't, doesn't everyone deserve uh, paradise or whatever? I like, no, they don't. That's who don't. Like Ace Rothstein and the, and, and the Chicago outfit, they deserve it more than those. Marvel creeps. <laughs> oh, I, don't know. I despise him and I love that man. I when God God forbid when that man passes, I'm gonna take two days off work. Oh, minimum. Minimum. Yeah. I I I just love him profoundly. Yeah. He's so lovable. He's just incredible. And this film, you know, again, like I think it's I think it's a bit too it's a bit too much for its own good, but also that's kind of what it should be. Mm-hmm. And again, that comment so I listened to the commentary, like I I found this podcast that uploads commentaries oh. every day. I'll send you a link to it. Yes. Um, it's a wonderful service. Like it's like the DVD commentaries oh, of yeah, these films. Yeah. And it's just, that's it. That's, that's the it. It's just the audio. That's great. Oh, that, I need that in my life just to be walking around. Lads, 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 I'm going to hook you up. Don't worry. Because <laughs> like, I, I just stumbled upon it one night and like the person who puts up just says like, I upload these for education purposes. Yeah. That's all it says. There's no... That's to avoid a lawsuit. Yeah. Complete and for no other reason. And where is the lie? It's yeah. better educational. Yeah. I, like I felt that, that clip alone I, I found educational. Yeah. But I mean like I listened to this casino commentary and it's a three hour fucking film I listened to it in bits over the last few days uh, as in in segments mm-hmm. of the podcast I wasn't emotionally in bits listening to it um, although you know every now and then but like and Scorsese's on it Frank Vincent's on it uh, Sharon Stone's on it Nicholas Pledgy who wrote it is on it the producer Tell Machine Maker the amazing editor his amazing editor is on it and like just everything that they have to say about you know 
not just like all the things that go into this film, I was like, wow. And like the music choices and all that kind of stuff and just how everything sits and how everyone kind of rationalizes what they do and, you know, what they really think the film is. And one thing, Tell Machine Maker, who is obviously a much more talented woman, uh, you know, a much more talented craftsperson and creative person than I will ever be. And she has the right to be correct and I have the right to be wrong. But I will say, at one stage, on the way over while listening to it, I almost stopped my tracks because she literally said, this isn't a mafia movie. And I was like, mm. but I've, it's my number one. <laughs> <laughs> and I've already, I've already sent the clips. I have to, like, <laughs> It is a mafia movie. That's what people say when they are, uh, they don't want to acknowledge their slumming in the genres. <laughs> people say, that, oh, it's not a horror movie, though. You know, that they, they, people love saying that. It's mafia. elevated horror. Yes. Yeah. But I, I am... will, until the Irishman came along, this was my number one Scorsese. Casino. Casino. Really? Yes. Okay. And I, I'd, Great movie. By by leagues, the one I've seen the most, even more than Goodfellas. Like Goodfellas, now I'll I'll stick on Goodfellas over it because I wore out Casino. Like from when I was a teenager onwards, you know, you just watch a movie and it's just so baked in that if you go to watch it again, it's, it almost gives you a shudder. Like you're like, because you've seen it so much. Uh, but it's Jesus, I I adore it and that <laughs> montage. The montage is just. And also, like, one little bit about that montage as well. It's just the the horrible, brut- brutal simplicity of how, like, you have the mob bosses being like, this guy's solid. Like, yeah. he's not going to betray us at all. Let's, we won't kill him. And, like, what do you think? And, like, the last guy is like, I say, why take a chance? Yeah, it's just horrible. I like, that's, like, that's, that's what I have to say about it. Why take a chance? These men will be dead in a year. Like, it's, they're all on, like, <laughs> oxygen tanks. They're all, like, going, like, and they're just like, yeah, no, that's... Uh, Cut to one of the most brutal murder montages you'll ever see. Yeah. Also, hey, the way it ends when, when De Niro's just like, and that's that. I love it. Bang. I love it. It's like, he just, what else is there to say kind of thing where it's like, he's, he, it was, it was great while it lasted. Uh, we fucked it up. Everyone fucked, yeah, we all fucked it up because we couldn't, uh, we couldn't control her our fucking worst instincts and now I'm just a Bucky in some suburban like so many of his movies just they have these like incredible inferno climaxes and then end in the most mundane kind of yeah. All right, sure. Look, that was that was. I was saying to a friend of mine last week. I was like, like, I'm, I'm imagine, like, you know, I, I can, I can imagine a world with, like, yo, welcome back to the Ace Rothstein podcast. Yes, <laughs> episode seven. What well, happened to the Santora brothers? You say that. Unfortunately, it seems to be gone from YouTube. Do you know within the film where he's having all the issues with the Senate senator and the the gambling commission? And oh, he goes on TV for a while, and he has his own TV show. Yeah, for a while on YouTube, episodes of the Ace Art. His real name is, um, oh. It's like Frank Roth. Frank Rosenthal. Rosenthal, yeah. The f- episodes of the Frank Rosenthal show were on YouTube, the real one. And it they are, it's like a Tim and Eric, you know, like found me, do you think? There's one where Don Rickles and Frank Sinatra do, and it's obviously, they're in town, they're doing it out of pure obligation. He has the charm of a foot. He's just the <laughs> least, like, like De Niro, he was too good for him, like this kind of, like this small, like kind of balling kind of guy with no camera readiness whatsoever. And the guys are just making a shit of him, like laughing at him, not talking to him, not engaging with him. It's humiliating. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But it was just like, I can do this. I want to do this. I'm going to have my own TV show because I'm a big shot in this town. Uh, I, w- I wish I kind of ripped them off when I saw but keep an eye out for them on I'll have a look, I'll have a look. Okay, so that's Casino and the song, of course, is The Animals, House of the Rising Sun, a.k.a. the best song of Of all time. time. My guest has been Peter McGann. Uh, Please plug those upcoming shows again. Yes, uh, Great Lad in September. Uh, They are are from the 14th to the 23rd of September. I'll be gigging around the country and if you go on my socials, Peter J. McGann, 
you'll be able to see where those are. Uh, it's a funny show, I think. I did a show in the Liberty Hall and it seemed to go very well. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming in. Really appreciate it. No, it was great crack. And of course, he might not be involved in organised crime, but he organises this show like few others could possibly ever do it. It is, of course, Sonic Architect Adam. <laughs> That's one of your better ones, 100% one of your better Just ones. popped into my head really, right there. Really, really, really good. Yeah, great to be here. Um, I'm going home now with a letterbox list the length of my both of my arms to, di- to dive into for the first time and to dive back into. Um, so thank you both for your fountains of knowledge in the mafia crime you're very genre welcome. Of you. film. I'm glad. You're very Please welcome. A you lifetime like. of watching movies over and over again hasn't yes. been gone to waste. And no. uh, thank you, listener. Thank you for listening. It's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to support the show. And again, if you're a fan of Peter and you're visiting this for the first time, there's lots of other top fives in the back catalogue. Subscribe to the show. Tell a friend. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.